Hello, friends. Welcome to the Can't Lap Podcast. My guest on the show today is Pastor Jeremy Rose, and what a privilege it was. Jeremy is the founding lead pastor, sorry, founding and lead pastor of the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, a godly, pastoral, sincere, ambitious, and generous man. I hope you're as encouraged as we were. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well if you haven't yet, and hit that subscribe button while you're there. Please, thank you very much. I believe that covers it, so give it up now for Pastor Jeremy Rose. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. It has. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but it was exactly three years ago this month that we did this the last time. That's wild. It was October of 2017. That's crazy. Yeah. Man, it feels like nine months ago. I know it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It was three years. And uh, I was looking through my notes on that, and the last time we did the podcast, I was, because of that podcast, I was off of Twitter for two and a half years. Wow. I deleted my Facebook app from my phone, and I deleted the LinkedIn app, and I moved, it was funny, I have a special note, I moved the Instagram app to the top left corner of my phone so it would be harder to get to with my thumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. <laughs> Just that little small change. <laughs> Absolutely. But I remember we talked a fair bit about social media, and it um, it had an effect, so I don't know. Maybe yeah. we'll drop off of Twitter again after this podcast. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in the, actually, on that note, on social media note, I, I think we weren't, I didn't do that just because we talked about social media. I feel like you were off of social media a lot mm. of the time also. And I also remember you having either two phones or not having a smartphone, like switching back to like an old flip phone or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for 13 months I had a flip phone. Okay, so so let me ask this then. So you went through a, a period of time where you had cut back on social media and just everything that goes with smartphones. But I see you're back to mm-hmm. a smartphone. So how are you now thinking about social media and all of that? And I'm even particularly curious. I think you have teen kids. Is that correct? Yes. Like mid-teens? I have uh, three high schoolers and one nine-year-old. Okay. So I don't have any high schoolers. I have a 10-year-old. He's our oldest. So I'm curious, how are you dealing with social media now? And how are you dealing with it with the kids? Yeah. <laughs> um, I learned a lot through that 13 months of uh, being on a flip phone, away from smartphone, limited tech. Um, I basically limited social media to two two ways of limiting it. One was only producing, not consuming. Um, okay. So there's usually two types of people on social media, the producers who disperse info, consumers who consume info. Yes. Scroll, you know, mindlessly yes. clicking. Um, and so m- my strategy through that 13 months was was one of the, well, not strategy, my takeaways was do more consuming. I mean, producing rather mm-hmm. than consuming. And limit it to actual like computer time, and not handheld computer in my pocket. Yes. Um, so good boundaries, I believe. Yep. Um, and man, uh, the teenager years with social media. Um, wow, that's loaded. Uh, so all my uh, my nine year old has an old iPhone that is uh, frustrating and slow and not connected, you know, cellularly. Um, and my three high schoolers, we text all the time. Um, we communicate, uh, via text a lot and, uh, there's tight boundaries. Okay. Very tight. And what ages? Uh, 14, 16, 18. 14, 16, and 18. And boy, girl. Boy, girl, boy. So girls in the middle at 16. I mean, I'm sorry, girls in the middle at 16, then boy, 18, boy, 14. 
Okay, yeah, you have the range there. Okay. And they each have a smartphone, mm-hmm. and they've got cellulars. They can call. They can mm-hmm. text. Okay. Yeah, so, because, And social media? Yeah, they have, um, let's see, our oldest, our 18-year-old, has Instagram. Um, our 16-year-old has Instagram. Our 14-year-old boy, he just looks at stupid videos and follows sports. Yeah. So that's... He's probably happy with just YouTube, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it really became important for us because our kids are um, involved in sports, um, despite the most, you know, schools shut down um, in-person studying. Um, our kids go to a school where, you know, they've been at it since August, um, playing sports, uh, involved in theater. A um, lot of extracurricular stuff. And I didn't like not being able to get a hold of my kids. Right. You know, and of course, the school violence, school shootings, different things. I, as a parent, that's a pros and cons type of idea. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I'd rather my kid have a phone. I don't like all that comes with it. Yep. Um, and a lot of times, I, th- I feel like when parents don't want their kids to have a smartphone, I think. I get it, but I think a lot of times it's because we would rather not parent. We'd rather just have, not have to worry about that. Yeah. In regards to that. Right. That's an interesting philosophy, which I agree with, and we're trying to kind of grow in that area, which is instead of just, you know, laying down some do's and don'ts, then talking through why some of those do's and don'ts matter and, 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 and I guess just growing the child as opposed to laying down the law mm-hmm. so much, which is what you're saying, which is it's easier as a parent to just not have <laughs> the smartphones, not have the social any, I mean, and the thing is, it's only a matter of when, right? I mean, it's not like you can, at some point they make their own decisions mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to have Instagram, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's whatever age that is, 21, 18, I don't, whatever. So what you're t- taking the approach though is those things are out there society is already using them. Let's coach them and teach them and train them into how to use it and, and how to use that in a wise way and not let it own or control them. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Which I yeah. agree. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's wise. You know, for us, that's the, the path we're, we're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the conversation when I was growing up in the 80s was um, like alcohol, you know, um, is it okay to drink? Is it okay not to drink? And, yes. And as I grew up in that subculture, um, independent, fundamental, Baptist, you know, um, woods of the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah. Um, King James only. Okay. You know, 1611. Uh, but What's 1611? The AV 1611. What is that? That's the Bible that Paul carried. Uh, just joking. Oh, okay. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the authorized version. Gotcha. Um, but no one... Uh, very few people carry the 1611. Most people carry the 1769, but they claim it's 1611. Yeah. It's unfortunate that people get so sidetracked right. with, um, with that whole discussion. But anyway, yep. um, what I learned in looking back over my childhood in regards to alcohol was, you know, it's a lot easier, a lot cleaner, a lot simpler mm-hmm. just to say no to something Yep. rather than learning self-control mm-hmm. um, and discipling um, uh, someone, a friend, um, maybe an older child who's a young adult, like teaching them through the self-control behind something that could be terrible, but also could be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the cancel culture has been around 
much much earlier than 2020. Oh, that's um, an interesting thought. You know, and I, I think that applies to smartphones and kids too, is just let's keep our kids um, pure, which is beautiful. Let's keep them um, unstained from the world. Man, that's beautiful. Uh, but if it's just to think that they're never, ever going to choose differently as they age, then mm-hmm. you're not really teaching them self-control. Yeah. You're not teaching them wisdom. I mean, I love that my kids and I, we get to work through boundaries and limits and wisdom. And, you know, I have, they have to ask to purchase things. Um, they have to ask for screen time because everything's set at five minutes. Um, and if they, like, per day, per app. Five minutes per day per app. Yeah. And if they want more time, they have to ask for it. Is there and then a, I can approve, like, I think one minute, five minutes, ten minutes, or all day, something like that. Oh, how, is there a particular app that you download it's that controls just, the apps, or no, it's, it's just Honor the, System? What, no, it's on the, uh, <laughs> what do you call it, the, we're, we're all on the same iCloud account. Okay, yeah. And, and so I get to, you know, from my phone, I can see their activity, um, and I can set some apps just off. So like when their grades begin to drop. I know you could do that. I just shut off, basically shut off their phone except text and call. The really? screen time app that comes on every iPhone, there right? There you go. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 the screen the time settings. app, you can, in the general settings, mm-hmm. you can set on your own phone also? Mm-hmm. Or every phone that's tied to the iCloud account. You can yeah. set a, a, a per day amount of use time for, say, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yep. By yeah, the, by my the wife app. has that too. I I never I did not know that. Yeah, I've my, never heard my of wife that. Jill uses it for herself and just puts limits and it just says, um, uh, time up and it's got an hourglass. Okay, and, you, know, you can click to put in a password to redo it. Of course, she knows her own password, but she she kind of has it there to keep her accountable. Like, wow, I've already spent forty five minutes on this thing today. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So you have you have the ability to dictate how much time each of your kids spends on each of the apps because you could have five minutes on Instagram and 10 minutes on Facebook, yeah, presumably? Absolutely. Okay, you yeah. can do that. And then, fascinating. And then is that actually the time that you allow them? Because that seems extremely short. Uh, well, it was one minute because <laughs> grades were really low. Okay. Um, and so they kind of have to earn trust, right? Like okay. Like trust, they earn extra time. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's I, I don't want to give them too much freedom or things to enjoy if they can't handle it responsibly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when their grades are up, I, I bump that time up without even really telling them. But then once their grades begin to change or behavior begins to shift, yeah. I pull it back down you okay. know, and I tell them. Um, and then we um, talk about kind of what's been going on, what's influencing them, what's going on with their grades. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, as they prove they can handle those, wow. those things, we increase it. Do you, and they cannot extend their own time without right. your permission, and you have the password that they that they don't have, right? right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's remarkable. And but by still giving them one minute or five minutes, that allows them to go in, check comments, check notifications, messages, that type of thing, make mm-hmm. sure they're not missing something that they shouldn't. Right. Yeah. And if I they're like waiting that. for us to pick up, you know, like after after practice, if they get out of practice early, and I'm on my way, but it's like. 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my daughter, Bethany, asked me last week, she sent me a text saying, can I have extra time while I wait for you? I'm like, sure, you know. I see. Um, and so I approved a request for 15 more minutes. Ah, wow. But again, that's a lot more engagement. 
that's yes. not sending my kid away, and then I'm doing my thing throughout the day, and then I begin parenting at right. supper time. Yes, you know it's it's a lot of even throughout the day mm-hmm. connecting. I like that. Yeah, you're in each other's lives more, partly because of the you know working navigating that issue together. It allows more points of contact and more conversations between you and the kids, which is great. And that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, but I'm also fascinated by your comment that the cancel culture is not new, mm-hmm. that has been around. And you're right about that. And I think there's still, well, I, I'm i quite sure, I guess, although I, no, I'm sure there is. There's still people, right, to, today that like at en ma- masse would still like not drink any alcohol, which is totally fine. I have zero problem with that whatsoever. Um, but then there's a whole bunch of people that maybe in the 80s, their denomination or their camp or whatever, their affiliation, their culture would have said, you know, no alcohol. But now they're enjoying alcohol, but they're doing it responsibly and wisely and would still probably believe you can take alcohol too far and use it inappropriately and all these types of things. But they're starting to navigate the the wise use of that as opposed to canceling it out altogether, right? Yeah, it takes wisdom. It takes self-control. Yeah. But you don't need self-control or wisdom if you just cancel it. Yeah. You know, um, but that's usually um, within that subculture. There's usually people who abuse food, yeah, um, and they don't cancel that, right? You know, and if you struggle with food, they don't just tell you to stop eating the rest of your life. Yes, um, you know, you, it does take discipleship. It takes face time. It takes self control. Yes, um, it takes discipline, and um, those things are hard and it's difficult. Yes. It, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility to try to learn self control, teach self control grow in self-control yeah it's all you know it's all consuming really Mm -hmm. and that's where the the, but that's but you're doing some real work at that point like if you're helping a child grow in those areas that's now you're what's the saying like now you're no longer like giving a man a fish you're teaching him how to fish basically you know what i mean like it's now you're moving from do's and don'ts to to being able to discern your own path forward as your own person which is really I mean, that is parenting, right? As, mm-hmm. as we do that and point them to God. I mean, that's, that's the hard work of parenting right there. Um, and that's what we want, you know, like when our kids leave home. We want to know that they have proven themselves over the years to be able to handle this. Yes. You know, they, they understand the way of wisdom. It's yes. not just dropping off at college with an unfiltered internet, internet, unfiltered, uncontrolled phone. Who knows what influences? Who knows? Like, we haven't taught them how to think. We've only told them what to know. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh man. And that's... so they're they've got to think. We haven't prepared them at all mm-hmm. to think. You know, and that's that's a frightening. frightening yeah, that goal. is. Uh, one of the cool things our school the, that my kids go to offers in regards to social media. I thought this was brilliant. Is uh, they offer a social media class, mm. um, and it's twofold. One, uh, it teaches the uh, marketing side of um, social media. Um, and then to the uh, foolishness of uh, social media and its, its dangers of how what you do now as a teenager, and we see this with sports figures, coaches, politicians, it's going to come back around one day. I see. You need to be very careful in, in what you put out there. Yes. Um, and because that is, the internet is permanent. You know? Yes, it really is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one thing, my 14-year-old boy, um, you know, we're big Clemson fans. 
love Clemson football, uh, Dabo, um, all that. Go so Tigers, to, right? My it. brother would be a fan Living of all Living in your that. golden age. Yeah. <laughs> we suffered. Goodness, we suffered for years. Yeah. Um, man, uh, it's been really awesome here lately. But, um, you know, he went to his football camp, and um, Coach Sweeney just uses football to teach kids about Jesus. And it's, um, it's amazing, man. It's like uh, Jill called it because she was able to go to camp with him. Um, uh, uh, football VBS mm-hmm. is what she mm-hmm. called it. Um, vacation Bible school. Yep. Um, but something that's interesting that he told um, all the campers uh, was in regards to social media and um, how anyone he's interested in recruiting to play football, he begins every Tuesday. It's every Tuesday or every other Tuesday. He gets a written manifest, a report, of any junior or senior in high school that they have their eye on, all their questionable social media posts and interactions. And then he goes through that list and contacts them regarding their post, saying, hey, if you want to play football for us, you have to clean this stuff up. So he's already changing these young men before they're even in his program. Um, because he looks at it as just mentoring men and a number of coaches look at it that way, mm-hmm. probably a majority of them. Um, but he's, he's wanting a certain type of player, not just a good athlete. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. Wow. And so he's trying to go ahead and go upstream before they get to the program, protecting them in a lot of ways from a lot of trouble, you know, um, cause man, social media is, uh, it's yeah, a, uh, it can be easily a problematic. Yeah, know, for sure. And yeah. to be clear, this is Coach Sweeney is doing that for your 14-year-old son who is in football camp? No, no, no. He was explaining how he does this. He does it with his campers. players? Yeah, and potential okay. players. But he was I just see. telling the campers, yeah. this is important, I you see. Know, how, how you handle social media. Yeah. Um, and then he was using that as an example of I what see. he looks for. So it yeah. was to create this uh, better care with the internet sure. yep. and these young guys. So you think currently, though, uh, Dabo Sweeney is getting a report every Tuesday with his current players mm-hmm. and maybe those that are want to play Clemson football and someone's having to make the kind of the, dis- the decision on what's a questionable social media post mm-hmm. and what's not. But the ones that clearly are totally fine, he's not necessarily reviewing those. The ones that are questionable, he's reviewing. Then he's sitting down and having a brief conversation with that young man and saying, here's, yeah. here's how... Oh, that's, yeah, wow, but now that's I wouldn't say it's cool. current players. I think current players, I don't even know if they are allowed to have phones or social media during I see. the season. Okay. Um, uh, I'm sure there's, there's some freedom there, but they have that lockdown really tight. Mm-hmm. It's the juniors and seniors around America that he's got his eye on as far as recruitment goes. It's only those prospects. Fascinating. You know. That's quite a level of involvement, mm-hmm. but I can see the wisdom in it. Mm-hmm. And, and just so we don't pass over it, your 14-year-old son went to Clemson and was in a football camp? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's that's got cool. great hands. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Has, Hunt, uh, Hunter Renfro, um, he caught the, the pass. Uh, the pass. The pass. Andrew probably pass. knows. I don't, yeah. I don't recognize when that When they name. beat Alabama, uh, number 13, Little white boy caught it in the end zone. I don't. I don't recall. One second left. One second left. Oh wow! Yeah. Which year? Uh, that would have been eighteen. Sixteen. Two thousand sixteen. Tampa Bay. It would have been January. January of seventeen. Seventeen. That's right. Okay. Um. So we weren't there at that game, but anyway, he's a uh, family friend. Um. So we vacation with his family every summer. Oh, cool. uh, 
So he was hanging out, uh, throwing football with, he's from a large family. Okay. Um, so his uncle was my roommate in college. So we've okay. known Hunter since he was like four years old. Um, taught him everything he knows about football. <laughs> right. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> not, not zero, actually. Um, but uh, he was throwing, and he looked at uh, my college roommate and was like, man, this, this kid has great hands. You know? um, so Caleb, my son, thinks just because he can catch, that's going to make him a great ball player. Sure. Uh, but you have to have good footwork to get you to where you can catch. Yeah. You know, and um, you have to know the route and have to run the route. And that's what makes Hunter a good ball player, and that's why he's playing for the Raiders, you know, and doing a oh, great wow. job. Yeah, fantastic so he got job. into the NFL. Oh, yeah, he's doing fantastic. Oh, wow. Very um, cool. But it's his footwork you okay. know, that, that gets it for him, his yep. route running. So that's what I'm trying to teach my boys. Like, man, you're slow. Yeah. you got to speed up. you got to work these routes. It's <laughs> – yeah, you can catch, but there's not many people that get paid just to go walk out there and turn around and catch a ball. It's right. usually a lot more involved. Yeah, know? and Caleb is your son, and he's four, he's the one that's 14 mm-hmm. now, and he's the one that went to this camp. Does he is he going to go every year? Or is that what was that a one time well, thing? Canceled this year, okay. Uh, of course, with COVID sure. stuff. Um, but yeah, he he wants to go back, um, and he gets to go with my college roommate's uh, son. Okay, um, Kyle Renfro and and his son, and uh, yeah, they have a lot of fun together. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, back to kids and social media. Do you have an internet filter at home, or do you just have straight internet? How do you handle that? Um, our router is straight internet, okay. um, but everything connected to it um, has filters on it. Um, even our Netflix, um, anything. Okay, you have to have. A, so, like the filter is in. Like you would go into like Netflix settings and mm-hmm. and do some sort of a filter there within Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anything that uh, is R or above. Uh, you have to put in a code. Um, yep. And I know that code. Nobody else knows that code. Um, oh, yeah, like the four-digit code on Netflix. We have that, too. Yeah. 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 We have our oldest is 10. So if something is uh, if something is PG-13 or worse, mm-hmm. I think, they need a code. I actually think I think they might know the code. But, um, <laughs> I mean, they're young enough. It's like they don't, you know, that stuff would be boring to them. So we haven't really had to deal with yeah. that. But it's something that... Mariana has brought up a couple of times is like internet blockers and stuff like that mm-hmm. filters. And we just have straight internet. And, um, I, I definitely have my share of sins and temptations, those types of things. Porn's not one of them. So it's not that, uh, I haven't kind of dealt particularly with that thing. And so I just remember internet filters from like, when I was 18, you know, or tw- I mean, it was uh, awful. It was so awful. I mean, that was, but it was dial up internet and, and you couldn't even go to like Google without the filter, you know, causing a problem. And so I've been a little bit more maybe on the, Hey, the kids are young and just not an issue, but I have been curious as, as they grow up is, you know, what do we do about that? I like the strategy though, of having the filters mm-hmm. on, on each the, one. On, on each one. I think we yeah. can do more. Uh, I'm with you in my experience on filters in the past. Uh, it gets clumsy and difficult. Yeah. I'm sure it's not that way anymore. Probably. You're probably um, right. But yep. I, I've knocked. I basically made it difficult to have low-hanging fruit, basically. Yeah. Um, and if you're, if you're trying to get to something, you're going to find a way of getting to it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. That's my philosophy, you know? too. And so I yep. would rather take those opportunities and um, walk with my kids through them. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of times my wife and I, um, I'm sure people won't like this, but um, our kids know, like, your phone is really ours. Mm. And uh, we always have to have your passwords, um, and we're going to look at random times, mm-hmm. you know, through everything that we find, deleted pictures, um, uh, history, 
or a clean history. Yeah. <laughs> That's a concern. Um, oh, right. <laughs> and so going like, and we just, we just deep dive into their messages, text messages, um, uh, social media history. Yep. Um, and we, that's just a way of, you know, trying to learn their digital footprint. Yeah. And, um, use that for teaching points and, you know, uh, being able to parent. Yes. In those situations. Do, do, did I get it correct? You also have an 18 year old son. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have an 18 year old son, 16 year old daughter, 14 year old son. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for the 18 year old son, well, I mean, even the 14-year-old, for that matter. Um, are you seeing a difference with how guys and gals relate now as opposed to... How old are you? I'm 41. Okay, you're a little older than me. But but still, I feel like back when we were kind of growing up, it probably was pretty similar just as far as that day and age and everything. Um, are you noticing it's different now? And the reason I asked was, so our oldest is 10. He is in fifth grade. So he went into middle school this year and he made three, well, there was one, in the course of like a couple of days, he made three friends. One of them was a boy and two of them were girls and, but they all kind of knew each other. And I think the girls actually emailed him wondering if they could be friends. And of course he was all about it because, you know, this was all virtual. And now he's like, oh, he has friends from his school. And it really wasn't like a boyfriend, girlfriend thing. And then, and then another boy. And and so it wasn't, so there, so he had some communication with these, um, with these kids. And one of the girls was a little bit more, um, well, they both were a little bit more, I guess, proactive and more like overtly friendly and, and he was he got a text message through Mariana, uh, my wife's phone, um, and she had like created a video on TikTok. Like it was impressive. Like it like she was a very good dancer, and this video was impressive on TikTok. But we were both like, "Oh crap, what is going on?" Like ours, we did not realize we were going to be dealing with this this yeah. quickly. You know what I mean? And it kind of felt like back in the day, back in my day, I guess the girls tended to be a little bit more reserved and it was the boy's role to pursue and to go after and, you know, to kind of put yourself out there. And all of a sudden we're experiencing a little bit different. We're like, the girls are the ones going out, out, putting themselves out there and like being a little bit more aggressive and overt and direct and those types of things. And again, none, none, none of the above was inappropriate, but, um, so then we started like, asking around a little bit. And then there was another guy, Jason Rogel, who was on the podcast. And he said it's, it's, he, he thinks he has kids that I think he's got grown kids, but, uh, but maybe his younger one is still up in, in, in uh, teenage years. And he said, he feels like it's switched where the girls are a little bit more now, I guess, proactive and stuff. Are you, how are you notice? How are you seeing this with uh, your kids in high school? Yeah, I can see that. Um, my, my boys are, just chill, kind of stay in their lane. Um, they, I don't know that they walk in a room and, and try to be the big deal or um, wonder who is the big deal. Um, they just go in, sit down, find a place and get to work. I mean, they have mm-hmm. fun, you know, but like my 16 year old girl, uh, she is um, the life of the party. Like she's a blast. Um, she is uh, life giving, like she's just totally engaged. She's quick, man. She's quick. Uh, she's real witty, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she acts like she's 27, you know, and she's 16. And my 14 and 18 year old boy, they, they, my two boys, they probably 
I don't know, probably act like a 12 year old. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is different. Um, of course, you know, girls mature, you know, first and earlier. Yep. Um, and, and so I, yeah, I mean, I see that. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, that probably has shifted as far as the ambition element goes, like men, uh, young boys back in our generations and times were probably more ambitious and, um, confident maybe in mm-hmm. some ways. And now they've maybe lost that confidence. Um, maybe they're, uh, I don't know, there could be fear. I don't know what would be there. I haven't mm-hmm. thought about that. But. I wonder if, I haven't thought about that either. And, and to the, I think this was also a point that Jason made, was that it's not an entirely bad thing that the girls are becoming a little bit more proactive because maybe that's just them knowing their worth a little bit more and knowing who they are as a person and they're confident in that. You know, so I, I'm sure it depends individually, of course. But then also back to the boys, you know, one thing they have to deal with growing up is the culture that does sort of press down masculinity and does sort of assume masculinity is toxic, which, of course, there is plenty of toxic masculinity out there, but not all masculinity is toxic, you know. And so there's because I feel like that's a little different now, you know, um, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know that it's an attack on manhood or anything like that necessarily, but I think it's different than it was growing up in the eighties and nineties now. So, yeah. Um, a theory maybe, uh, and just processing it here with you is I wonder, like when I look at my boys, I think when they're on technology, they're usually gaming. And when my daughter's on technology, she's usually engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, of course you can engage in gaming, uh, but usually it's two to four people. It's not getting a video, uh, together. It's not, uh, making a post on Instagram. Yeah. It's not texting back and forth with friends. Uh, they, the boys probably text very, very little. Um, they very, very little social media of my 18-year-old, none from my 14-year-old. I, I, I would actually like for him to be on Instagram. I would like to see what he would, <laughs> what he would post. Yeah. Um, that would be fascinating. But um, my 16-year-old girl is very active. Yeah. You know, I can see that. Good followers. Like it's, um, and she's the one who took that social media class. And sh- so she's really wise in how she uses, yeah, or how she has her online persona. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that kind of carries into real life, into the classroom, for instance, where boys are kind of just in that room for one to four people, kind of like a game. Yes. And the girls are just more social, social butterflies because yeah. of that engagement that yeah. goes on back home while you're on social media. That's a very interesting thought. I mean, gaming is, gaming is such a big deal now for boys. And I just never got into video games. I mean, we were Mennonites, so we didn't have TVs, but uh, we did have computers later and did play some, some computer games. But by that point I was old enough and I just never got into it. So with uh, like, like our 10 and eight year old son, I mean, Xbox, the thing, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like they, they'll play Xbox over watching a movie or, you know, I mean, that's, that's their thing. So, do you have, say for like the 14-year-old, do you have an amount of time per day that you're, you'll let him play the Xbox or video games? Yeah, typically there's zero, zero playing games during the week. Okay. Um, and then on Saturday after 12. Oh, okay. Gotcha. For, Afternoon on Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's for all the kids. Okay. Yeah, and, without special permission. And, you, and that's very rare. And usually we look at their current GPA, their, their grades, okay. their performance. Um, and that's even before they even get to go play with the neighbors. It's like, Hey, I want to go play basketball with the neighbors. I'm like, well, let's look at your grades. 
Um, I yeah, mean, we're, I like that. We're tight. You know, when you start yep. thinking about paying for college for kids, right? <laughs> uh, that GPA matters a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> How about Sundays? Any game time on Sunday? Xbox um, time or whatever? Uh, limited. I try to be chill and relax. My eighteen-year-old, you know, more sure. freedom. He works a lot, and um, he deserves to rest a lot. Yeah. on on Sunday, um, and kind of let him just choose for himself. Yeah, um, I've not. It's not that I'm passive. It's just that. He's, I want, I, I'm wanting him to kind of go ahead and kind of start living that college life of freedom. Yes. And then throw in kind of um, soft parenting nudges mm-hmm. along the way. Yep. Um, without hard restrictions on the four, like a 14 year old. Yeah, have. totally agree with that philosophy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks for indulging me on my curiosity on that. Like I said, the oldest is 10. So I'm, I'm all ears when someone has kids that are like your kids' ages. Yeah. How are you handling the internet and social media and gaming and all of those things, man? I mean, it's becoming increasingly irrelevant and we're into it now. You know, I mean, he's getting a TikTok video that this girl put together, yeah. you know, like it's, it's happening. Me. Yeah, TikTok <laughs> stuff scares me. I, we, there's certain apps we just don't tolerate. We don't, yeah, yeah. we don't have time for, for that kind of stuff. But yeah, can I ask you a question? I yeah. know it's your podcast. Can Please. I, can I interview yeah. you about something? Yeah. Um, so you said you're Mennonite. Yeah, uh, were. Okay, well, you were Mennonite. Yep. Um, what, where did you grow up? Upstate New York. Okay. Yep. Grew up okay. in upstate New York, and my wife was from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. So she grew up Amish, mm-hmm. like the the legit Amish. And she, all of her siblings, she's from a family of nine. When they all turned 16, it wasn't exactly 16, but for most of them, when they turned 16, they left the Amish mm-hmm. and then joined uh, local Mennonite churches. So you have the Anabaptist umbrella, mm-hmm. and in the Anabaptist, you have Brethren, you have Amish, you have Mennonites, and there's some more in there. And like you would know, the Anabaptist kind of broke out in the in the uh, Great Reformation, and um, uh, so. She, but her parents are still Amish. So when okay. we started dating, um, that was uh, I. I drove my Yamaha R6 crotch rocket into an, an Amish house, and you know, in the driveway, and took <laughs> off my leather stuff and walked into the house to date their daughter. <laughs> and it was intimidating for me because yeah. even though I grew up Mennonite. The Mennonite and Amish kind of share a lot of the same theological beliefs, but I look like this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I legitimately look exactly like this. But the women would wear, like, dresses and veils and coverings and stuff like that. No TV, no radio, that type of thing. So, yeah, I, um, it's what I knew my whole life. And then when we moved to Nashville in 2014, we were very open to the idea that when we move down here, we may go ahead and leave that tradition um, but the two decisions weren't necessarily tied together. The decision was we're going to move to Nashville. Um, the likely scenario is that we'll probably leave that Mennonite culture as well or tradition, but that wasn't a for sure. And after we were down here, we found um, our church and started to, you know, get curious about what they believed. And and um, and then probably in six months or so after we lived here, we decided to kind of leave the Mennonite tradition as well. So. Yeah. Um, and there's, is it new? Order, old order, new school, old school. Yeah, like, yeah. There's new, there's old order Amish, which is what you think of when you think of Amish, mm-hmm. and there's new order Amish, which Mariana has a couple of siblings that I think would fall in that camp. Okay, which means they, um, the husbands would largely look like me. The ladies would wear, you know, dresses in in a in a covering, and then you know, no TV, no radio, and like some of them would like drive cars that are only black. Okay. And and not have like any other color of car, mm-hmm. and yeah, so there's sort of the half step between Amish and right. Mennonite. Yeah, yep. and they would drive tractors instead of cars sometimes. Um, the new order Amish, I think, mostly 
they're all having cars at this point, okay. is my understanding. But then there is a type of, not to confuse the issue, but there is a type of, um, like a horse and buggy type mm-hmm. of Mennonite, which oh, we yeah. had a lot of those where I grew up. Like Joe Wangers, uh, what else are they called? Uh, well, what were those baskets? The Longenmire baskets? Longenberger baskets. Longer yeah, basket. that's right. Yeah. Why do you bring that up? I, just that was a product of the Mennonite and Amish. Uh, uh, did they make? The, I think did so. They make? In the Shenandoah Valley. Oh, Virginia. I didn't know that. So Longenberger, the reason I was at, curious why I brought that up, because my mom used to buy the crap out of those yeah. baskets. I mean, she was into collecting those big time. And they were going to be really valuable ones. They were? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think they are, well, honestly. They're as, they're as valuable as Beanie Babies and ball cards. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. We lived in the Shenandoah Valley for three years and had uh, a lot of Mennonite friends. Oh, yeah? And brethren friends. Really? Um, yeah. Near uh, Sweetwater College. Bridgewater College, James Madison University, Eastern Mennonite University. Oh, wow. Right there yeah. in Harrisonburg. Okay. Um, but wonderful people. Um, wonderful. Loyal people. Yeah. Hardworking, honest. Uh, yep. Man. Family oriented. Oh, yeah. Um, most of, not all anymore, but most tend to have a little bit of more of an Armenian theology. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so we were definitely in that camp, and that yeah. kind of changed in like 15 for us. And, um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, look, there's lots of godly, great, smart people that would still fall in that Armenian camp yeah, and, yeah. and not have a lot of respect for that culture, for sure. Yeah. The, Thanks the, for helping me ask that. I yeah. just didn't, like, I, I just admire. Yeah. Um, yeah, upstate New York, and the families tend to be a little larger, too. And we're, I think where people go wrong is when people leave the Mennonites or the Amish, sometimes they leave because they're looking for... I guess, a freedom to go be wild and crazy. And then when they feel like they're treated different or when they are treated different, because most people that do leave the Amish and Mennonite, they're, they're going to be treated different. And mm-hmm. you just have to know that going in and accept that and still agree to still love each other, even though you, you're going to be treated a little bit different. And that's I think that's the way to do it. But when you leave and there's sort of a at least a level of animosity or, 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 or a degree of separation that you weren't anticipating and that creates a bitterness, now you, that's, that's a problem. I mean, yeah. you know, you can't live your life in bitterness, you know, yeah. and you can't live your life. Also, here's the other thing that when people leave those conservative circles, one of the things they're, I think, probably mostly without exception, but that's an overstatement, I would think, but mo- a lot of times they're told like, well, you guys are going to be fine because we were told this. Like, you guys will be fine because you're old enough. We were 30, but you're kids, you know? So it's like they put that pressure, not everyone, but you'll hear this, where you're going to be okay, but you're making the wrong decision because your kids are not going to be okay. Mm. Well, when you put that on a parent, yeah. <laughs> that's not a good expectation to live under, you know? And now, and now you have this generation of parents that are feeling the need to parent in a certain way to prove to the people or the group that they left that that's not going to happen to their kids. And then you know what happens? That happens to their kids. You know what I mean? So I think there's a right way and a wrong way to leave whatever culture or religion or kind of denomination you're from. You know, if you if you leave it for good reasons, I think that's great. We're happy that we left. We, we won't go back. We're also very grateful for it, um, but we don't have any bitterness, you know, and we don't feel like we have to live up to anyone's expectations. My wife probably does a little bit more than me, but um, I think where it goes wrong is when you start to feel like you're living under those expectations, you have something to prove. Mm-hmm. That's 
that's not a good situation to be yeah, in. Yeah, I so, totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize you lived in the Northeast, actually, at any point. Were you married at that point? Yes. Yeah, I had two kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. So uh, you've also had COVID. Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> when was that? How'd you um, get it? How was that? That was awful. Um, it was a month ago, probably, maybe uh, four and a half weeks now. Okay. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, started feeling bad on a Monday morning. And, um, well... Sunday night, I didn't finish my supper, and that's only happened like never in my life, you know. <laughs> and so it's like something. Looking back, it's like, oh wow, that's probably what it was, you know. Okay. Because I've man, I've just always cleaned your plate, right? Yep. Um, and anyone else's. Um, and so I uh, went to bed that night. Woke up the next morning. Didn't feel great. Um, but I didn't have a fever or anything like that. Um, go throughout my day, uh, and. Uh, had an elders meeting that morning. Monday morning? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, as close uh, as we are here. Um, you were there? Mm-hmm. Were you wearing a mask or no? Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, Did they all get it? No. No, none of them. None of them? Mm-mm. How many elders? Uh, there were five of us, I think, in the room that day. In a room inside, yeah. around a table? Uh, no table. Just sitting in chairs, sitting like in, in a chairs, circle? Yeah, yeah. Like shaking hands or? Oh, yeah, hugging. Yeah. Yeah. And they did not, none of they them got it. None of them got it. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that does not make sense. Yeah. Um, that surprises me. Yeah. So that afternoon I, I started having a fever and uh, real low grade. Um, we have a three story house if you count the basement. And so in the basement, uh, I basically, you know, we've got Netflix down there. So I just told, told Jill, We've got a fever, keep everybody upstairs. We don't have a return vent down there, so it only blows air. It doesn't recirculate it, which I thought, you know, if it does, you know, if if it could spread, it would be less likely to spread that way. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and so I just stayed down there for 10 days. Um, I went outside maybe two or three times uh, when the kids were gone to school and Jill was at work and walked around for maybe, I don't know, four or five minutes. Uh, and came back in, was uh, chugging Pedialyte, man, like a, like a fish drinks water. I was um, so much Pedialyte. What uh, is that? It's just like an um, uh, electrolyte-heavy drink for, for toddlers, for children. Um, it's when basically when children have like an st- upset stomach and they get dehydrated. Mm-hmm. It's an uh, electrolyte-loaded uh, resource for them to replenish their their liquids. Their were fluids. you doing that because you were dehydrated, or you were doing that because that would be good for COVID? Um, I was doing that because I figured it was good to be hydrated. Uh, I see. When you know when you're sick, um, yeah. increasing your fluids is good. You know, it's one of the first things you do usually when you go to the hospital for something is they get an IV drip going. Yep. Um, and so I just started, uh, yeah, drinking drinking a lot of Pedialyte, a lot of water, and. Um, Never, never coughed really. Um, didn't have any stomach problems. Uh, I lost 12 pounds in 10 days, um, which was uh, probably most water, maybe. But um, it was 101 and a half fever for 10 days without a break. Ooh. And in the middle of that, like day four, maybe, and to six, uh, two and a half days, uh, it was up to close to 105. Um, and it depends on if my thermometer was right. If my thermometer was right, uh, then it was up to 104 plus. Um, but we take my kids' temps in the morning, 
for them to go to school every morning. Uh, And there's constantly, it's 97 point something. So it makes me think it's probably reads lower. I see. Maybe, you know, and so um, regardless, it was 103 to 105 uh, for two and a half days without a break. Uh, Intense, not necessarily a headache, um, but intense like ache right around the bridge of the nose into the eyes uh, as if my eyes were swollen and and it hurt to move my eyes left or right. Hmm. and uh, yeah, and just just tired. I don't remember a lot uh, from from that time. Um, uh, but after my fever broke, uh, any time it you know at, towards the end it would kind of go up, down, up, down, up, down, and uh, like the last day. And so any time it would come down to like less than one hundred and one, I would feel amazing, even though it was still a temp. Sure, uh, it was just a break because I had had it for ten days. Um, but then day 10 to 16 or 17, my oxygen level was really low, like 93. Um, How do you know? What were you I had one of those, uh, I forget what you call Prick it. Prick the finger? And no, it's like the, you know, they put that little clip on your finger. Yeah. It turns red. It reads your oxygen levels. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, I, I believe uh, you're put on a respirator um, at like 92. Okay. Um, but I just remember just like not being able to take a deep breath. We'd walk outside, my wife and I, um, and cause Metro had called me and said, Hey, you're, you know, you're, you're free to go around. Like you're mm. no longer contagious. Um, you don't have COVID anymore. I was like, Oh, cool. So I'm going to go for a walk <laughs> and, uh, got really tired. Um, and my oxygen was really bad for a few days. Couldn't, couldn't catch my breath. Um, but never did I think that you know i was in trouble i mm. just felt like it was like a a bad flu mm-hmm. maybe a flu times two or three um but again no cough uh no stomach issues uh, i did lose my sense of smell okay um, that's yeah i heard like, that from some friends too yeah which is no big deal you know um if you're going to lose a sense that's probably one of the best right. things to lose. <laughs> but it was neat even getting here that's why i asked you if there was a brewery because i could smell the hops and it's like i'm learning to to trust my nose again. Oh, wow. That's why I was asking for a clarification on that because I think, I was like, I think, but you, I yeah, can't trust my nose right now. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. What did your oxygen level get down to? 93. Yeah. Okay. And what's the, what's the, is it just 93 or is it 93 out of 100? Like what's yeah, the, I don't know anything yeah. about. It's 93 out of 100. you want okay. your oxygen level. Okay. And yeah. does that mean you have 100% oxygen or, or no? Is that just mm-hmm. a, a way I, to... I believe mount- it's like the oxygen in the, in the bloodstream. Is 100, whatever that is, if it's optimal. So like right now, most likely yours and mine is 100? Uh, could be, uh, but probably 97, 98. Okay. Maybe 99. Okay. And yours got down to 90... 93. 93. Mm-hmm. And when do they put you on the ventilator? I believe it's around 91, 92, something like that. Ooh, that's pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they are still doing that? Because... My understanding is they're a lot more hesitant to put people on the ventilator than they were back in March. Yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But um, it is, it, I was thinking like if your oxygen got to like 60. You yeah, know? that's what I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, no, like you'd probably be dead at that point. Wow. <laughs> you know, okay. it's like you, you wouldn't be able to, to breathe. I see. Uh, but it, well, you, it, it's the amount, I believe it's the amount of oxygen through your breathing mm-hmm. that actually gets to your bloodstream. I see. Okay. Yep. And so it's a upper respiratory virus, COVID is, and it prohibits the 
the lungs from functioning properly. The bronchioli, I think. Okay. Um, they get filled with fluids, so they can't disperse the 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 oxygen into the bloodstream as easily. Um, mm. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, just when you're in a basement for ten days and you have this disease or this virus, you. Uh, you do a lot of Googling. So. Yeah, I believe that. It doesn't sound fun <laughs> yeah. at all, honestly. Yeah. Did you go out and buy the thing that you clip on your finger to check the blood or check the oxygen level in your blood? Or um, did you have that already? I had a good friend at our church that brought me a care package of okay. uh, some good baseball DVDs, childhood okay. movies, Angels in the Outfield, Rookie of the Year, okay. uh, Field of Dreams, <laughs> and, um, and some uh, kombucha, Heck uh, yeah. some soup. And that uh, device for my finger. I see. And uh, some uh, double bubble, bubble gum. Okay. Yeah. So he said it makes everything feel better. So <laughs> what did you think of the kombucha? Or did you already drink it's it? First time I ever had kombucha. And, really? Uh, yeah. And he said it, it's supposed to be good for you. And Good it, for you or good for COVID? Uh, both, maybe. Maybe both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they also gave me um, a strange vitamin supplement that's supposed to be good for um, for COVID, I okay. can't remember the name of it. It's really it's a herb of some some sort of complex okay uh, supplement, and uh, it kept me up all night, so I couldn't. It's really expensive though. Okay, um, and I tried it, but it just did not help me sleep at all. Hmm. But I didn't know if it was that or something else. But, yeah, and I take about twenty five supplements every day. Okay, and through COVID, I just stopped. You know, um, I just I couldn't put anything in um, other than. Pedialyte. Because you had no appetite or because you would vomit? Um, no, nah, I don't know. I just didn't, I, I just couldn't get myself to, I, I was just so out of it. I Interesting. Just, if, if I could go back, I probably would stay on the supplements. Sure. And sip on soup and things right. like that. Um, and I got to where I could eat, you know, soup and things like that. But um, it's fascinating how I've been taking vitamins for years. And then I get this virus and I stop. Right. And some of the vitamins are the very vitamins they say helps COVID. Right. Zinc, vitamin C. Exactly. D. D, yep. You know? Yep. And I just... But you were already taking that, you huh? Know, I was, but I just stopped all that yeah. when I needed it most. Right. You know? Just, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just wasn't thinking, you know? It's really strange. But, um, but yeah, uh, they, they just brought me that care package and I had that in there. Yeah. Yeah, we... My wife's been making... She makes all the kombucha. I have two glasses a day. It's, it's, I, wow. I don't eat until dinner time, so I don't... I have a protein shake after workout, 11.30... So in the morning, it's a glass of kombucha and a coffee. And then usually I have a glass of kombucha in the evening, too. Uh, But it took me... She'd been making it for probably three or four years, honestly, before I started drinking it. I couldn't stand it. Just could not stand it. And then I acquired a taste, and now I'm kind of hooked on it. You do have to acquire a taste, I think. It is, yeah. uh, Because I grew up tasting things like that in our refrigerator, and when you did, you had to throw it out. (laughs) It's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, this is turned. This is yeah. no longer good. <laughs> but what's the deal with potatoes? Do you just Man. happen to like potatoes? Is it one, yeah. one of the only foods you can eat, or is it good for? Is it good for COVID? Because you, so- uh, man. I, so when I started, um, when I was getting off of COVID and getting an appetite back, I put whatever my body wanted into my body, like anything I craved. Okay, I took in because one, I was thankful to actually have an appetite. Uh, two. Um, I knew I needed the nutrients and there was something in the foods I craved that I needed. So there was something about the foods that I wanted. Um, one of my friends was, and I've been watching Netflix down the basement and watching TV. My neighbor was like, what can I get you? And, uh, I'm like, man, I've been watching this Burger King Whopper like commercial 
like so many times every day. I kind of want a Whopper. And by the way, they're two for five dollars right now. <laughs> and so he brought me a Whopper. And it's like, I can't tell you the last time because I'm, I, I overthink really everything that I eat, everything that goes in me. I really overthink. Yeah. Um, or I try to think through really mm-hmm. you know, a lot. And, um, but this, I was just like, man, I, I just want a Whopper. Yep. And, um, hadn't had a Whopper in maybe, 10 years or so, um, took it in, ate it. It was delicious. No regrets. And then the next day, um, I was having to go take my daughter to her cross country meet. And, uh, it was like my first day out. I was kind of tired. I was meeting her there. She rode there with the team and I passed a Burger King and I'm like, man, I'm going to get me a Whopper. And, uh, so I, I got a, in the drive through, uh, two Whoppers, one big fish, and one fry and a Diet Coke. <laughs> and I'm eating this stuff in less than four minutes um, on my way to our cross-country meet. And I'm just thinking, Jeremy, what are you doing? You know, but I was just, again, so glad to eat. And, and then I started this potato, man, like, like pot- potatoes, everything. Uh, maybe uh, seven, eight a day um, for five days, six days it lasted. Uh, tater tots fries, you know, just no sweet potatoes, just potatoes. But I did go like red potato, gold potato. Okay. You mix um, it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes butter, sometimes hot sauce, sometimes, you know, ranch with a ketchup and a mustard oh, blend. Oh, dang. That sounds um, so good. It, it's like a oh, Zaxby's sauce. Oh, my Zach sauce. Yeah. You, you do like, you said ranch. Ranch. With some... And then a little bit less ranch, a little bit less ketchup than the ranch. Yep. And then a little bit less mustard than the ketchup. Ugh. And you do salt and, a, and then heavy pepper. Oh, my and goodness. That sounds delicious. Like Zach sauce without the anchovies because there's anchovies okay. in Zaxby's sauce. Okay. So you don't get that little strange taste in there. But yep. not that it's bad. It's just you can tell it's not exactly that sauce. Yep. Um, and so I don't normally eat potatoes. If I eat potatoes, it's sweet potatoes. Um, okay. Just as is. Yep. Or some uh, Tony Cajun seasoning on it. Other than that, I'll just eat a, a sweet potato out, you know, I'll just unfoil it. Yep. And just eat it cold. It doesn't matter. You okay. Know, it's all about the nutrition for me. Yeah. Uh, and here I am eating these white potatoes and stuff. And it's like, yeah. what is happening? But I was just thrilled to be able to have an appetite. Yeah, for sure. Well, it was probably you know? good to get, just get nutrients back in your body, too. Yeah. I mean, there's something to listening to your body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand you can't just, that's not just, you can't just eat whatever you want all the time. But, but uh, I feel like sometimes your body just feels like it needs a certain thing. Yeah, and so my friend was like, so was your body needing ranch? You know, yeah. so maybe because it knew yeah. that a potato was the vehicle yeah. for the ranch, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, there is some wisdom, I think, to listen to your body, particularly when you're coming out of uh, illness like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not anything that I do anymore. But man, yeah. you look up the nutritional facts on a, on a potato, um, those jokers, they, they're they're loaded with some stuff. Good know? stuff or yeah. bad stuff? I mean, you know, you've got your starches, of course, that's okay. associated with it. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, several, um, several good vitamins uh, that, mm. are, that are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised. Yeah. The, uh, no, no, your wife did not get it? None of the kids got no, it? Nope. Huh. That still surprises me that you would have been highly contagious to that elders meeting, mm-hmm. and none of them got it. I mean, if half of them got it or, you know... That would sound about right, but mm-hmm. none of them getting it. Any theories on that? Man, uh, I don't really know what to think. And people ask, like, where did you get it? You know, and, you know, contact tracing and things like that. I'm like, well, again, I don't, this is just Jeremy. I don't know that anybody 
can say for a fact where they got it from. Mm-hmm. It, unless you never go out anywhere and the only person you see is your mailman, then you probably got it from your mailman. Right. But if you if you are out at all in any way, uh, just because I'm here and I would get it doesn't mean I got it here. It could have been somebody in the other room that happened to just walk past. I mean, right. how, yep. do, how do you know? It's true. Um, and so, uh, you know, having gone through all that, and I would say I don't know of anyone personally that has had a worse experience under 50, uh, let alone um, anybody that is uh, focused on fitness um, uh, like I am. I, I don't know of anybody that has had it as bad as I had it uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my dad um, had some intense um, heart problems earlier this year on Father's Day. Uh, had to go to the hospital. Thought it was a heart attack, um, and he doesn't have the the greatest blood pressure, cholesterol numbers. Uh, he had COVID three weeks ago in Virginia, and uh, felt bad for two or three days, and that was it. Wow! And his my my mom, his wife didn't get it. Uh, my brother got it, and he lives there near them. They go to the same church, and uh, my brother, fit guy, thirty nine years old. Didn't feel good for maybe four days. Had a fever for a day, and that was it. Hmm. And then here I am. It is I'm so by strange. Far the most. My brother's going to hate this, uh, but I'm by far the most fit okay. out of us three Rose Boys, and um, you know my dad being one of the Rose Boys. But yep. uh, uh, but I had the definite worst case, that and is... nobody else. My brother's wife didn't get it. Uh, my nieces didn't get it. So it's really, it's, it's odd. It's so strange. It's odd. It yeah. is odd how it does affect different people that way. I, I mean, Trump was 74 years old. He's mm-hmm. over. He's a little overweight. I think technically, like, by definition, obese mm-hmm. in a couple of days. I know. Out, like, you know I, what I mean? That would have been awesome for me. <laughs> and, exactly. And people are like, well, but he's the president. But keep in mind, my understanding is that he didn't take anything that's not available to the general public. Yeah. And yet, people do die. People are dying from it. A lot of people have two hundred thousand plus people have died from it. The thing that concerns with it, that's true. Yeah, that is that is a key. That is a key. Yeah, that's a key point. Yeah, and I was taking Tylenol. You know, like I was, cause that's basically, you know, Tylenol or Advil or something. And I felt like it, there was nothing. It was like throwing hand throwing BBs at an armored tank coming at you. Okay, I just it didn't help not, with the pain. No, nothing. Okay, I mean, I don't think. My the, my experience is you just have to endure it. There's really little to nothing. Okay. Did you, you ever consider going to the hospital? No. Okay. I mean, well, but, well, because I think if from my, from my understanding, if you go to the hospital, they're basically just gonna say go home, quarantine, here's some Tylenol. Really? You know, I mean, yeah. Unless you're like needing to be on a ventilator. Okay. Why are they gonna? Well, my fear with going to the hospital would be that they would put me on the ventilator too soon because that was doing all kinds of damage back mm-hmm. in the spring. Mm-hmm. Lung infections and all kinds of oh, things, yeah. apparently. You don't want to go on the ventilator. Unless you really, I mean, there was people that died because they went on the ventilator. Right. So, But I think they changed that now. They're not so quick to put people on the ventilator. So that was sort of my fear if I got it was you go into the hospital, next thing you know, they're on. I'm on the ventilator. Now I have long-term health damage yeah. because of the ventilator. But it doesn't sound like they're doing that for people quite as readily anymore. Right. They're probably putting you on like a oxygen feed, you know, through the nostrils. Right. Making sure you get uh, oxygen rich air. Right. Which I think you know. I'm not aware of adverse effects to that. So right. I mean, that seems decent. I would have I mean, loved that. Don't even, <laughs> right. Because don't football players even oh, yeah, do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so basically, for you, it would have had to get worse in some way. And then you just have like, at some point, you would have went to the hospital. You just didn't feel like you were there. Right, yeah. I, I see. And, uh, but even still, going back, you know, again, this is my opinion here. 
but having a real tough go at it. Um, this might be a little controversial or a lot, but um, having gone through a really tough bout with this virus compared to others my age, I still think it's a little over the top to be so afraid of it. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, yeah, it, it was unfortunate. It was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, and I had a rough go, but I still was not like, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there have been times uh, in our home throughout all of 2020, uh, since February, uh, that uh, anxiety has been debilitating. Mm-hmm. and much worse than anything I experienced with actual COVID. Yes. And big point. Yeah. And so, um, I, I had it, I endured it. And when I look at the effects of fearing it, Mm -hmm. um, I would much rather have COVID Hmm. than fear COVID. Yeah. The thing that I was concerned about the most was apparently sometimes people that got it and I don't know how many or whatever, but I have read this a couple of times in the newspaper that sometimes it can take your muscles of your heart, which are long, and sort of dice them up. And now you have a long-term basically damage to your heart because now it's working with dice muscles instead of full muscles. That sounds terrible. That's right. not something that I wanted to have happen. Yeah. I don't know how common that is. Yeah. But I feel like that's one of those things where, you know, I read it. I know it can happen. I don't know how often it happens. I don't know if you already have a pre-existing heart condition for that to happen. I don't know. I just know that it it has happened. And now I'm walking around that walking around with that sort of fear in my mind. And then, so you take that and some of the the misinformation that went out there, then what the, um, the news, you know, kind of pumping it up and everywhere you look, someone's talking about COVID and, and, um, and someone made an interesting point a couple of weeks ago that I heard that the death ticker, basically where you're like, all we're all so focused on how many cases and how many deaths, like so, so focused. Um, that's not really doing anyone any good because we don't have a death ticker for tobacco. Mm-hmm. And speaking of tobacco, the you know you know everyone picks your battles, which I know Andrew, we're not going to be able to see this unfortunately on for the people watching on YouTube. But right there is two lungs, one from a smoker and one wow. from a non-smoker. And look at that, it's awful. Wow. So for people that are picturing, picture like two what looks like two kind of water balloon shaped type things. That's a set of lungs. And the one, the non-smoker is basically pink, and the the smoker black. literally looks like it's it's black. It looks like, like it's charred. It's like yeah. it's charcoal. It looks like it was smoked a smoke yeah. lung. Like it looks like the difference between like you know those uh, red hot dogs, the old school, old fashioned hot dogs. Yeah, like it looks like the color of that. Yes, and then the other one looks like one that you would burn to yeah. a hard crisp. It does. It's yeah. exactly what it looks like, and that's and that's from that's the difference between a cigarette smoker and a non-smoker. And, you know, the average deaths uh, in America running for the last couple of years with tobacco, it's about 480, I think last year it was 480,000. So this year it might be even a little bit more than that. I mean, that's so many people that die from tobacco smoke. So many. The average uh, death age for a tobacco smoker is 10 years young, uh, less than a non-smoker. I'm actually surprised it's not more than that. Um, but we don't, when you look at the news, you don't see a death ticker for tobacco, right? You know, yeah. you don't see a death ticker for people that died from alcohol over overdoses, um, or car wrecks, those types of things. And so it's more back in mind. Like I think of one of our, our mutual friends, Andrew and I's, um, is a guy named Mac who's a cop and he was, uh, he was just mentioning the, um, 
a while ago that people would be surprised how much crime goes on around them. And I'm not surprised to hear that. Like I, I haven't dealt with crime, you know, but I'm not, but then I see in like next door, the next door app, like it happens in our neighborhood, Mm -hmm. but I haven't seen it personally and I haven't witnessed it. And so I kind of go about my life and I'm not shocked to hear there's a lot of violent crime that goes on, but I don't see it. I don't hear it. And I don't hear it talked about. And so there's, it's sort of in the back of my mind, I'm just going to go and I go kind of go about my life. What you don't know, you don't know. Well, um, but then you have with COVID, it's like the opposite extreme. It's just, it's always being talked about. It's always front and center. I mean, the media is pushing it and I guess it gets viewers and this fear kind of society generates viewers, clicks, which generates revenue. Oh, big time. Um, So yeah, that is a little unfortunate. Yeah, I think the tricker, the ticker, um, you know, if, if I could explain this to my kids, you know, if I were a news source, if I wanted to handle the news and distribute the news like a parent would a child, um, I think I would focus on, um, the recoveries. Right. Mm-hmm. And so instead of we've reached, you know, five or 10 million total cases, however many of the, the cases are instead, I would say, well, there's this many active right now cases because the whole, the big number doesn't matter. Yeah. A big number of cases is irrelevant. Right. Right? Yes. And so the relevant case, the relevant number to me is what do we have right now? Mm-hmm. And let's look at how many have recovered. Like this yes. is loaded with hope. Yep. You know? Yep. Like uh, it is radically more hopeful than, uh, than, than what they make it out to believe. Yes. Um, something interesting. Uh, one of the gentlemen that goes to our church is on the uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, with uh, Nashville. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they like to, at times, pull out minutes from years past. So they took the minutes out uh, from 1917, 1918, 1919. Uh, you know, the Spanish flu was 1918. Um, they took out the minutes. This was uh, probably two months ago. And they were uh, going to see how they handled or addressed or talked about the Spanish flu. So they put out the minutes. Looking through it, nothing was mentioned. Nothing. Wow. Not even on the city's radar. Not minute-worthy, anyway. Nobody brought it up. That um, is the main surprising. concern was the, the illnesses uh, and the condition of the um, men coming back from war. Um, and uh, I can't remember what it was. Maybe, uh, I, don't know. I, don't th- I don't think it was polio, but... Uh, they were coming back with a particular illness or um, maybe it was a mental side effect of war or something. I can't remember. That was in the minutes. Hmm. But nothing was mentioned of the Spanish flu. Hmm. So so why? Like back then, they just assumed that that was sort of up to the people and they're going to be smart and wise enough. It's kind of between them and their doctors and they'll figure it out. And that's not the role of government to involve themselves or the the chamber to involve themselves in that. Is that why? Well, I think... You know, news spread a lot slower back then yeah, that's compared true. to Twitter today, right? Yep. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm not beating us up as a culture, but I do think that we're very sensitive. Um, and I, I just think that they were uh, mentally more stable. Like, they expected things to be hard. That's uh, they a key point. They expected things yeah. to be difficult. And yeah. we expect things to be easy. And if something's broken, we just have to get something new. We don't know how to fix or repair. Yes. Um, if something's difficult, get it out of my life. 
Uh, if someone's negative to me, I'm unfriending them. I'm not going home for family vacation today because my parents said something that was that hurt my feelings. And, you know, we're just so sensitive. Yes. But we're not sensitive. We don't, we don't have to be this sensitive. Mm-hmm. We're a lot stronger than what we think we are. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so I think that and... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the difference in handling the Spanish flu back then and how we're handling this today, um, yeah, I, th- I think they were tougher in some ways and news spread slower. And I would like to think not that all news was full of integrity back then, mm-hmm. but I would like to think um, that there's a lot more um, fake news yeah. today. Oh, there are hun- well, there 100% is. I mean... <clears throat> And people it's taking slants. People taking slants, yeah. and I mean, it's it's irrefutable that there's other countries involved now in the whole fake news thing mm-hmm. as well. Now, you touched on it, and I think an interesting and important point that we haven't really talked about much in the podcast yet, Andrew, which is the the other very bad societal effects that have come along with shutting down the country and all of Andrew, you, you had an article on the world health organization, I believe that talked about, did they reverse course in, in, and basically they came out and said that if something like this were to happen again, we, we don't recommend we shut everything down because now we're seeing the poverty, the anxiety, the depression, the isolation, all of these things that came, came out. Um, yep. Yeah. Who, who abandons, Past support for lockdowns now says stay at home orders double world poverty. Wow. Yeah. What was the key takeaway there, Andrew? It's their key takeaway was that um, was that the lockdowns, when it came to the spread of the virus, did not have the positive effect like they initially thought that it did. Mm-hmm. And the only real noticeable change was the negative change on the world poverty rate because people were losing jobs because of the lockdowns. Yes. And um, they said here, right here, I mean, according to WHO envoy Dr. David Nabarro, lockdowns are doubling poverty rates and should not be used as a primary means of controlling the virus. Yeah. And down the paragraph below, it says, we in the WHO do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control of the virus. And adding that lockdowns are essentially stopgap maneuvers. So the only time that a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not do it. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that and then you look at what certainly parts of the country, like particularly California and New York, I mean, they went. And in other states too. I mean, they went pretty hard extreme, lockdown. hard lockdown. Washington State too, I believe. Oh yeah. So you're a pastor, and what do you see as? Have you seen or do you see as some of the negative effects of doing what we have done? And how quick are we going to be able to kind of recoup from that? Yeah. First thought, uh, you know, when I see that about you know lockdowns harming um, jobs and uh, increasing poverty, is I also think of uh, just pornography. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like I know at Nashville Metro, this isn't probably true for all your viewers and listeners, but, uh, for Nashville Metro schools, they dispersed laptops, um, to every kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and there's a beautiful side of that. Be able to stay connected, continue learning. I love that. Uh, but man, that's a lot of opportunity, um, yeah. at home during the day with little to no oversight, uh, for, porn to just become infiltrated into that home, uh, which makes money, mm-hmm. unfortunately, 
Um, but it, it cost, um, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever know the damage of the lockdown in regards to what it's going to do to future marriages mm-hmm. and relationships and to be, be able to, um, in a healthy way, uh, be social and have, have friendships. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, as a pastor, um, man, uh, this past Sunday, um, at the beginning of our first service, um, I just, I couldn't get composure. Uh, I was just looking, uh, I felt like I could, I could feel and sense the burden, um, the emotional burden, not necessarily spiritual, um, that our people were carrying. And I just hated that I couldn't take it away. I hated that I couldn't fix it. I hated that they are having to walk through 2020 like this. Um, it just, it really just broke my heart. Um, and it took me several minutes to, to get those words out. Um, uh, it was, it was really hard. Uh, and so I, I know that our people are afraid. Um, some are just not leaving their homes at all until a vaccine. Um, others think this is all ridiculous. Um, we've got, we're very diverse. That's something that 2020 has taught us as a church is we are very, very diverse. Um, we, we think very differently. Um, um, many, many different um, uh, uh, ways of thinking in our church family. Um, and so trying to balance, like, how do you lead a people that are polarized, you know? Um, and that not only do they think they're doing it the right way, they judge others for not doing it that way because of the uh, media that they're absorbing uh, and that through um, analy- analytics and algorithms, they're, you know, uh, they're being fed certain, you know, uh, ideologies that they agree with. And so it just kind of creates. Oh, uh, yeah. If you watch Social Dilemma. That, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, and I was aware of a lot of that just from personal experience. Um, and, you know, it just makes sense. It's why we're so polarized. Yep. Um, a lot of that is coming from our phone usage and social media usage. And, uh, and so, yeah, trying to keep people focused on Jesus and the gospel and hope through this is, um, and it's hard, um, but trying to have a very soft, empathetic, and patient, gracious heart to however. The way I, I've said this so many times this year is we're all doing our best. You know, if your best is staying home and waiting for a vaccine, man, crush it. Do a good job. There's no guilt, no shame right here. Uh, if your best is getting out and for the sake of your mental health, you've got to go about your life as normal, man, you do you. Um, I think all of us should be careful and cautious. Uh, but again, that's so relative, right? Right. <laughs> Subjective. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we just, we have to get through this and yep. we're all going to handle it in different ways. Uh, what, that, what people don't need is they don't need to feel judged uh, for handling it a certain way. Yeah. Um, that, I don't know that that helps anything, particularly when you're going through a pandemic. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. The, uh, social dilemma, did you see that six, we just talked about this yesterday, but 64% of people that are in extremist groups on Facebook were directed there from algorithms. Wow. I did not know that. 64%. Yeah. I watched That's that so when crazy. I was in isolation. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. In the basement. Yeah. So I remember some of it. 
I don't remember all of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it does have a real impact. And, you know, what I'm kind of curious about, and and by the way, there was another study in June. This was on the Intercepts website. There was a study in June. Over the last 30 days, there was, I want to say 2,000. I might not have that number wrong, but there was a, a, a significant amount of... Um, people that were surveyed, the respondents were 18 to 24 years old, and 25.5% of them, of the survey respondents, again, 18 to 24 years old, prime of life, right? Mm-hmm. This was in June, over the last 30 days, had seriously considered, 25.5% of the respondents had seriously considered suicide as a viable option in the past 30 days. That is so high. Mm-hmm. That is so high. Like, yeah. for that age group quarter of the people seriously considering not like oh at one point i thought about it like seriously considered suicide i mean that's 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 pretty bad and i think part of it is covid has revealed that our social fabric is maybe not as strong as we thought it was to begin with yeah but then it's also you can't it's hard to make the case that it hasn't continued to tear it apart it just has you know and i think of i think of the um the effects of this that are going to play out for years to come. And one of those effects, I think, is when a three-year-old kid is at the playground because they're finally let to come out of the house and the grandma comes over to see the grandkids and she hasn't seen them in months and the three-year-old runs up to the grandma to give her a hug and the grandma runs away from the three-year-old. I mean, that happens. Mm. And if you're a three-year-old kid, how do you understand that grandma's how do you understand COVID-19? Yeah. And I'm with you on the not judge part, but there's some effects here for Absolutely. our kids that maybe it's better not to see them if that's how we're going to treat them. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'm not so sure that running away from a three-year-old kid is the right thing to do to begin with. But yeah, well, the, the anxiety, the the panic and everything that um, that my house endured this year um, you know, in April and May, that's, you know, kind of early on compared to where we are now with COVID. Um, you know, w- once that began to affect our home, that's when I was like, okay, we, we've got to get out. We're done with this. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were hard locked down for like seven and a half weeks. Okay. Uh, we went out twice. Oh, wow. Um, I went to the grocery store a couple of times. My wife went to Chick-fil-A twice, the drive through and I refused to eat anything from any restaurant like that. Because there was so little that we knew. We yeah. didn't know if you could get it from surface. We didn't know if you could get it from food. Yes. We, you know, it was so new. Yep. So I don't mind the lockdowns um, and the, the extreme caution, particularly early 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, we know a lot more now. I agree 100%. Yep. Um, but when that changed for us, when, when uh, there were some events that took place, and it's like, okay, we're done with COVID. Yeah. We're finished. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then even in getting it, it's like, uh, that was, you know, rough, but it's not worth yes. isolating. I mean, you know, our neighbors would come over and play Xbox through our glass back door mm. with my kids. They wouldn't even come inside. Like, yeah. uh, we, you know, it, we were hardcore yeah. locked down and it took a toll, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the suicide thing, uh, that is, again, why I would point out the ticker. I would point out the recovered. Yes. And, and the total cases recovered and active cases today. Yes. Right? And then, sure, a death ticker is not a bad idea either. Yep. But, but the whole huge, massive number of total cases. Yes. You know, and I think even our mayor puts out every day, like, um, like 
I don't know, however many thousands of total cases. I think today we had 25, there's 2,500 active cases in Davidson County today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he always lists like the huge number of total cases. Like that's that's irrelevant. Exactly. I totally agree with that point. It is. I totally agree with that point because what's so weird about this, man, and this this is where it's like whatever messaging they're trying to convey is working because, I mean, you're starting to understand how I'm thinking about COVID and those type, and I'm not that scared of it. I don't want to get it. I am taking precautions. I'm not going to let it shut me down. I think it's crazy to run away from your three-year-old granddaughter. I think you should either not see her or give her a hug when she you do see her. Um, again, take precautions. I don't care. That's all good and, and dandy. But so um, and 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 I, and I'm with you on the 217,000 plus deaths or whatever that we've had. It's those are people that have died with COVID. Now I'm I'm I would seem like plenty of them have died from COVID. Okay. And so uh, any death's bad, right? right. But again, oh, yeah. we just established mm-hmm. half a million people die from tobacco in this year. No one's talking right. about that. Well, heart so heart disease is much more. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be an interesting stat to look at. So you, you understand how I'm thinking about this and kind of how I'm looking at it. And still, when I hear numbers about total cases in America, I, there's part of me that's like, well, dang, we're all going to die. You know what I mean? Like, well, this thing's really getting bad. This thing's taking over because you're talking about total cases, total cases. We have another 60,000 cases in America and that adds to the total. And here we are, you know, this is the total in the country and there's so much emphasis put on that. It's like a subconscious thing that you, it's like, it does work. Whatever messaging they're trying to convey is working because even in my mind, I'm thinking, crap, this is like, this is just getting worse. It's snowballing. It's not getting better. You know I mean? But, but, then there's the stat on how many people have recovered, and we're not paying enough attention to yeah, that. Yeah, but if you if you have a doomsday, you know, ticker, and you it it does bring about a certain amount of fear. When people are afraid, a significant portion of them can be better controlled, right? Yes. And so, you know, when you when you are afraid, there's a sense of hopelessness that sets in, and you'll do whatever you're told to survive. Yes. Others will revolt to that, right? Now, a way to think about suicide is, um, you, you remember 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the jumpers. Um, they didn't classify the jumpers as suicide deaths, right? But a death by terrorism. But they took their own life, mm-hmm. right? Their act. But they didn't classify it as suicide. Um, and I think it's important because they didn't show up to work wanting to take their life. Mm-hmm. Um, they had no other way out. And so when people are caught up in such a fear narrative um, and they see these numbers and it leads them to such fear mm-hmm. and, and it's just inevitable. Everybody is going to die of this thing is what they're thought. Like, oh man, I hadn't thought of it like that. And so it creates this hopelessness. Yeah. And so suicide rates go up because much like the people in the buildings that jumped, they didn't want to die. They just didn't see another way out. Yes. And so they jump. And so here we are with this, this culture and there's so many, so much fear. That's why I think, man, for the sake of the people who don't have the emotional capacity to process 2020. Let's talk about the recovered mm-hmm. number. Let's talk, let's share stories. Instead of the stories every night with Lester Holt about the, a victim that's young and healthy that's died, let's talk about so many old people yep. with pre-existing conditions. Let's talk about their stories of survival. 
Yes. Let's let's celebrate that. Let's not just focus on young, healthy dying, because all that is doing is creating fear for the young, healthy guy. Yes. That is hunkered down in his bunker, you know, living off a generator, afraid to breathe, and yep. hasn't been outside in seven months, um, and he's going to kill himself, right? Yep. It's like, let's offer this guy hope. Yes. But if you don't have hope, if, you, if it's only a matter of time, and that's the narrative you're being fed... Um, I can see why you could get to such a despairing place. Yeah. It's not that you want to die. You just don't see another way out. That's an interesting thought I hadn't thought of when you compare that to the to the jumpers at 9-11. I think that's a key point. And also, the government just tripped over themselves at places, too. When you look at what happened in New York City, you know, they thought they were needed to be the man and shut everything down, which, again, I don't really fault them for that. In mid-February, no one knew what this was. I mean, we thought this ever, you know, who knows what this is? So you're just doing what you can. But what got weird was then end of March into April when we started to actually know some things about it. And then you started to see the different mayors in different cities and the different governors kind of power tripping. And a good example of the government tripping over themselves is New York City. Who's the who's the mayor? Oh, okay, Cuomo. Andrew, Andrew Blasio Cuomo. Blasio is the mayor. Oh, okay, mayor, okay yeah. Blasio is the mayor. Cuomo is the governor. governor. And Cuomo, this is so hard to believe. And my, my family gets a little bit into the conspiracy sometimes. Sure, so when sure. this was hitting the family group thread in like spring, summer, I honestly didn't pay any attention to it. So this is like, this is bad on me because I thought it was maybe a conspiracy. But the thought or the... The fact was that Kumo was forcing nursing homes to take back in COVID patients. And I was like, there's no way. So I never paid any attention to it. Well, as it turns out, no, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And like 11,000 older folks died because of this. So here we are shutting down the city, mandating lockdowns, shutdowns, everything like that. We're tripping over ourselves because we're also doing ridiculous things like saying nursing homes have to take back in these elderly patients that had COVID. Well, guess what? It spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And so many thousands die. I mean, the number that sticks in my mind was like 33,000 died in New York in a relatively short amount of time. But like a third of them were because of the nursing home debacle. It's so crazy, man. Yeah, it's, yeah I think it's closer to 40,000. Um, now I'm sure it died. is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's wild, man. Um, and so it doesn't take... Uh, much creativity to create a a growing narrative of fear. Yeah. Um, to to control, uh, but but that man that comes at and and to to leverage politically, right? Uh, and that just gets really scary. Yeah, it sure really it scary. sure does. Hey, back to your COVID being worse. Do you smoke cigars or cigarettes? Or are you a smoker of any kind? Yeah. Do you, do Rarely. Okay, Rarely. so that's yeah. not a so that's not a thing, huh? Yeah. And I run, you know, like I run, I ran a. Uh, 3.6 miles this morning, and then uh, lifted weights for 40 minutes, uh, burned 1,200 calories in an hour and 15 minutes this morning. Nice. And so that's normal. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, on Sundays before I preach a couple times, uh, which my watch, by the way, counts as cardio. Sometimes right. it's my preaching. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, it's funny. It'll Your watch off. will tick up. Yeah, it'll, it'll because it'll be you like, pace the stage, or because I, I your heart rate goes up. Heart rate and hand movement. Oh, I see. Uh, okay, it's like oh, it looks like you're working out. Record his workout. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, but usually even before I preach, I run three miles on a Sunday morning before you know I do really? prep and stuff. Yeah. How how many services? Uh, two services, nine and eleven. Nine and eleven. Do, have you ever done three services? No, uh, I don't think so. Maybe at a church I, I preached at before as just a guest. Okay. okay. Is would you say two services is manageable and three services to kind of preach three like like do you really want to keep the two services if at all possible? Yeah, I think two services best. Uh 
my my opinion. You mm-hmm. know, I've seen many many guys do it differently, um, and we've thought about going to three services at different times uh, in our church. And um, I get to a point where I'm like, well, that third service is going to essentially end up being it. Sh- like, it, why not do it at a different time? Like, why well, feel like you need to do three back to back to back? If yep. Keep your two and then move that to a Tuesday. Move it to a Sunday night. Move uh, it to okay. a Saturday, a Thursday, yeah. or a church plant. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like, Preferably well, a church plant. Yeah, man. It's like, <laughs> but yeah. wouldn't a Sunday night, because I kind of feel like, it, I mean, I have no idea, but to preach back to back and then you go home and eat lunch and you're Watch around football, the house. And, and, and put have your feet to, up. And, but then you have to come back for a Sunday yeah. night service and preach again. That seems taxing. In yeah. some ways, it just seems like it'd be better to go back to back and get it done. Well, you know, my my whole life, uh, I'm a pastor's kid, you know, fourth generation pastor myself. And uh, and so my dad grew up, you know, I grew up watching my dad preach um, once on Sunday morning, a different sermon Sunday night, a different sermon Wednesday night. Wow. And so for us to talk about taxing, to preach the same sermon three times instead of a different sermon three times in a week. Yeah. Two in one day, yep. different sermons. He would probably laugh at that being taxing, you know? Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, wasn't it back in the like, uh, no, is this Calvin's day or more recent? No, it was more like in the uh, Great Awakening times, so like Whitfield and the, and the, and Edwards, I guess. I mean, some of those guys are preaching 12, 13 times a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just going yeah. for it. Martin Lloyd Jones uh, would preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night, and Friday night. And yeah. It would all be different. And it would all be different sorts of sermons. Okay. Okay. Different types of sermons. Yeah. Uh, different audiences, different goals. Yes. So yeah. he's clearly not putting in 40 hours per sermon at that point. Right. At that yeah. point, do you think you were just saturating yourself in the word, picking a subject matter, and just having some thoughts in that direction, but it's really just born out of an overall saturation in the word? Right? Yeah, there's I mean, a cumulative effect, I think, of, of being yeah. a 70-year-old pastor who yeah. has preached, I don't know, 20,000 times. Yep. And, you know, you're, you've been in this text, and a student, Lord willing, you've read through the Bible, you know, 40, 50 times. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get the big idea. You understand themes. Um, you have a significant active working of theology on a number of different mm-hmm. uh, topics. And so then you just kind of hold up a newspaper, and you just begin to read the paper um, rather than try to research the Bible. Um, to start out with, and you just think in the newspaper meaning, like, what are our people going through? Yes. Um, and then it's like, well, Friday nights, I, I want to address um, this issue in our people. And then you think, okay, well, how has Jesus thought on this? Paul, how has Isaiah, you know, uh, what did Moses say about this? What, you know, how does this fit in God's, God's big picture? Um, and then uh, you just begin to weave some different um, passages together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know the word. You understand what the, your people are going through, and you know your people. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like the work of a shepherd, you know, um, understands the pasture, understands the enemy, understands the sheep, understands the trajectory, the goal, um, and the food that they need. And you just, from your heart, you just, you know, it's a, a teacher's giving information, but a pastor is like nurturing as a, as a daddy to a son. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't, I don't have to go study a book on, on how to hug my son, you know, uh, how to encourage him after a game. I'm not Googling, like, what to say to a kid after a bad performance on the football field. Yes. I'm just like, buddy, I'm proud of you no matter what, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's always next game. Let's put in some work together. 
Um, but I guarantee you that no matter what you did, I wouldn't be more proud or less proud of you. Um, it is awesome to see you wear this uniform and sweat and work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to Google that information. So I think, you know, your years that are involved in pastoring and, and in the word at that point, now where a guy 25 years old, 30 years old sits and he thinks about doing that every week and all the yeah. hours it takes. I mean, man, it's the, the feedback I get from certain sermons, it's the, the sermons that I don't use any commentary where I just take the text and basically just write my thoughts out in the form of a manuscript. And I preach those thoughts in regards to that text for our people on a Sunday. That always seems to get the most um, encouraging replies. Mm. Uh, but it makes me the scariest because I feel like I'm out on a limb by myself. Yes. It's just me and the word, you know, because okay. um, I'm still like young enough to feel like, well, I could be you know, really wrong and I want to make sure. Sure. But then you consult the commentaries. My story is this. I consult the commentaries to see if I'm right. And then they say some awesome stuff. And it's like, I've got to include this. Well, then I'm borrowing, and it's not, it's not my passion. Yes. And, and so then it's like, well, man, I want to be able to, to, to share my passion. But this is a really cool story that he used. Um, and so just selecting, you don't want to get up there and just feel like you're reading a commentary um, or borrowing information, it, citing it or not. I'm talking about plagiarism. But just it, it's just there's something about knowing your people knowing the word and just encouraging them in the gospel. That's it. What is it about a content or idea that comes from you directly, which of course we would have hoped it would come from the Holy Spirit through the word, through you, through your thoughts. But what is it about the difference between an original thought and something that comes from a commentary? Why can that be picked up on? Because it can be, and it's not Obviously, there's lots of times, right, where it makes a total sense to pull from commentaries. But what you're saying doesn't surprise me. Like, that that seems about right, you know? If someone is kind of, you know, they feel like they're, they're, they're coming up with some original content or they feel like the Holy Spirit is guiding them in a certain way from the text and they're going to kind of trust in that and they're excited about that and there's a certain level of, what is it, originality, authenticity, passion that comes from that, where if you start to borrow that can be picked up on. It feels different. How, how do people, what is that? How do people yeah. pick up on that? Man, I, you just, I don't think there's any substitute for personal experience of, you know, when, when you um, witnessed a, an incredible ball game, right? Uh, an event, you can describe it in many different ways with a lot of passion. But if you, watched it or heard from someone else of their story, you, you, there's a lot less detail and there's not the same passion because you didn't experience it. Like it's effortless for them to share it because they, I mean, it's so real, you know, I mean, I can talk to you about the Clemson catch and my boy jumping in my arms and we both started crying. We had no idea why we were crying. It's a football game. It's like, <laughs> I don't get a ring. I don't get money. But we were to, in tears. That's so great. I, I never would have thought, as, as a big of a fan as I am, that I would have wept in that moment. But e- even just talking right now, right? Yeah. I'm letting you in on, like, I experienced this. Well, if you just read the newspaper of a sports, of a sports report yeah. of that catch, it's, you can tell a difference in... Mm-hmm. And someone, even if they're trying to manufacture passion, all they're giving you is the facts. They're not letting you know how it feels. But I'm going more of how I felt 
and oh yeah, by the way, we won. Then there was one second left, and it was you know Deshaun Watson number four to Hunter Renfro number thirteen. You know, yeah, like you know, I can, I can give you the facts, but I go into more of the feeling. And I think when you read a commentary or use our commentary in a sermon rather than it being something that is originated through your study and it's original to you, uh, you have you run the risk of reading the paper rather than just telling the feeling, like explaining like with passion something that you discovered or learned and how it impacted you, right? And so, like I train uh, 12, 12 of our men at our church, a different 12 every year in how to preach. Um, we, we're finishing up, we're limping across the finish line because of COVID. Um, it's been the longest year of our pastoral leadership collective, but we call it our PLC. But yeah. it's... Uh, um, wrapping up now, we've got one more session um, in November, um, and I can tell when these young guys are reading a commentary from their manuscript mm. because it's really good. And <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Man, it's good. And, I mean, nothing against their brilliance, right? Um, but it's amazing, and... It, it flows so cleanly. It's not choppy. Um, but there's little to no emotion behind it. And then you get a guy up there who, through tears and a lot of clumsy words, a lot of ums, he, he explains something that he learned through that text and how it's encouraged him and his family and his wife, how it's convicted him. Uh, that, like, the... the Theological depth isn't like the guy who read the commentary, mm-hmm. um, but that you 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 get pulled you get pulled in, uh, yeah. and you get to look at that text in a beautiful way when someone is sharing firsthand experience of how this has affected them. You know, um, there's a greater sensitivity mm-hmm. in that moment that he's yeah. in, in vulnerability. It's like if you. Um, I've heard that preaching is like holding a sword, holding a um, a knife, um, and often we like to think that we hold the blo- uh, the handle right, and we rightly divide the word of truth right um, to the marrow. It's the power of the word, but it, boy, you sling that that blade a lot more carefully when it's turned the other way, mm-hmm. and the point of that blade is in your palm, and you're gripping it by the edge. You're and and. And preaching is preaching with that sensitivity, and you're speaking from the wound, the conviction, mm-hmm. the change that you've mm-hmm. experienced, from the blood that has flown from it cutting you, mm-hmm. instead of you just trying to use it to impress or cut other people. Yeah. There's a big difference. Whoa, I never heard it put like that. That's something that'll stick. Mm-hmm. That's a very good mental picture of how to handle the word. Different meekness. And humility. Yeah. And trying to be impressive, you know? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. It's funny, because why is it that we, when we hear, like, the word is like the sword of truth, we always picture we're the ones that's holding that sword by the handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. As if, like, yeah. As if God's not. <laughs> yeah, as if God's not, and as if, like, we're... As if we don't need to be kind of cut clean with that sword, just along with any everybody else. Yeah, and I would I would say don't don't preach the text um, and, until it's wounded you, until it's convicted you, until yeah. it's um, humbled you. 
in some way. Even one of our guys this morning was texting me about the text that he has to preach in November. And he's just like, man, this chapter, um, uh, because he's doing a 23rd Psalm. And he's like, I can't preach this text until it's wounded me greatly first. And I'm like, man, that's it. Like, that's because it's easy. That's a coffee cup. Yeah. Coffee mug first. Right. You know, the yep. chapter 23rd yep. Psalm. Um, and so it's, but it's got to inform you and shape you in some way. Um, and then it takes a lot of discernment and wisdom, which comes through experience and failure of how to preach that text without embellishing like a confessional booth group therapy of how yeah. it's affected you. Yep. It takes a lot of wisdom. But yes. there's a huge, huge movement to kind of go into that more felt need kind of, kind of uh, the pastor is um, a horrible sinner just like everybody else. It's like he has to always say mm-hmm. that he's you know, a failure too. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't just call people to repentance as, as pastors have throughout history. He has to preface it that he's a clumsy fool too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's unfortunate, um, and I don't think it should be that way. And and it also can become this confessional booth, group therapy moment where the pastor just woos people emotionally um, through their story through this text. And it's like, well, yeah, that's that's cool. Like, I'm really glad that 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 impacted you like that. But like, man, like, let's get people to see Jesus through this text. Yes, exactly. It's almost like having experienced the Scripture work on you in a certain way or having God pull you through a certain thing, you you experience a certain thing, come through a hardship or a suffering or, or whatever that experience is that helps you where you actually experience the word, experience the text, experience the power of God in suffering or whatever that is, it's almost like experiencing it is the the uh, that's the difference maker when you're preaching it or communicating it later. It's not like you have to later then communicate all of the details mm-hmm. of what you went through. Like just going through it and then preaching on it is really that's that's the difference maker. Right. So, it's yeah. less about going back and telling everything that ever exactly. happened. Yeah, Just so th- going through it is the is the thing. Yeah, think of it this way. Letting it impact you and affect you personally is what qualifies you to preach it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the qualifications, Paul, Timothy, right? I'm talking about just in regards to this. Ex- letting the text impact you, impact you qualifies you to preach it and teach it. It, do- it doesn't provide the content of the sermon. It's just the qualifier for you to preach that sermon. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Don't, let, don't let your experience, let your experience be what qualifies you. Don't let your experience be the content that you share. Exactly. Exactly. And just as people can pick up on the difference between I am preaching or teaching or talking from original content versus um, uh, commentaries, don't you think they can also pick up on it whether you're talking about something or preaching or teaching from something that you have experienced or not experienced? You don't have to say that you experienced it. It's just having experienced it changes your tone. It changes your... Tone your, is huge. It, it, inflection, it changes how you talk about it, how you communicate it, um, and that informs your words. And that's really... Because I'm just thinking of like... A communicator that I look up to a lot is is Ray, our, our our former senior pastor at Emmanuel Nashville, gifted communicator. Rarely does he talk about his past experiences and some of the sufferings and some of the things that God brought him through. I mean, rarely, and yet and yet it it, it clearly informed his communication, and he kept his communication on point and in the Word and focused on God. 
but but I don't think you would have gotten that type of communication without some of his experiences and suffering some things that God brought him through. But he wasn't talking about it very much, you know? So that just seems to be like you can just pick up when someone has experienced something or not, whether they talk about it or not. Yeah, and it's interesting. I want to try to communicate this effectively. Um, but it reminds me of um, an ex-slave in Alabama a long, long time ago speak of what makes a good song leader on a chain gang, right? Um, he has to keep a certain rhythm is key because they would all sing it together, hum mm. it together to stay on rhythm, to sling the hammers at the same time. But he was being interviewed, and the guy said, does he have to have a good voice? And he said, no. Um, he said he just has to have lived a lot of life. He's got to be able to sing through pain. He said, you could, I, he said it like, um, he said, well, I guess you could have the voice that would impress St. Peter at the gate. But if you haven't experienced life, you can't be a song leader. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and I, I just, it's a, it was a powerful interview. Yes. Um, but uh, and I think that's the same way. When, yes. when you haven't experienced pain, anxiety, fear, trouble, when life has uh, flicked you in the face but not punched you in the gut yet, your, your preaching lacks a certain depth because it, uh, there's too much that's theoretical. Right. Because, but when you've buried a sister, when you've buried a child, um, when you have um, had lengthy hospital, hospitalizations of family, um, when you have um, been in and out of divorce talks but s- determined to stay together, um, when you've got a wayward younger prodigal in your home, uh, when there's these things that keep you up at night and devastate you, um, when you lose someone to heart disease, when you lose someone to cancer, leukemia, um, these terms take on a significance, and this suffering becomes very real. You don't have to theorize uh, your uh, pain. So when you preach about anxiety, don't be anxious about anything. Uh, prayer and supplication, let your request be made on to God. Let's trust him, y'all. Like, instead, it's like, I, this is a hard verse for anyone who's gone through a lot of suffering. Um, and, and letting that pain inform that verse as you communicate it. And if you've lived life and it's hurt, you've been punched in the gut, breath knocked out of you, you, you it is so noticeable to your people as you mm-hmm. preach through really anything, but especially on trouble uh, compared to the, you know, this fresh new guy coming in and uh, he says the right things, maybe the same things. Mm-hmm. But you, the, the look in his eye, the tone in his voice, um, how flippant maybe he says certain things, how fast he goes through the things that took you a long time to say. Um, that communicates a lot. And um, I would not want to be good at that without going through those things. Yeah, and that's where that's a great example of how God brings beauty from ashes. And I just think of the verse two where it's like in all things God is working for our good for those who love him, because for the preacher who's going through those things, or the person who's going through those awful hard events in life, 
suffering, the pain, the hardship, the questions, the uncertainty, the fear. And then later, that having a, an actual real benefit to other people. You know, I mean, that's, that's how God works. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, and you can't get, get it any other way. You know, like that's... And that's, you know, James 1 talks about trials, right? And that mm-hmm. trial produces steadfastness, right? Yeah, exactly. And that steadfastness is to produce greater faith. And, you know, if you, if you want to understand steadfastness, you're not going to find it through comfort. Mm-hmm. If you want to be steady and poised in trouble, it's not going to come from the beach. It's going to come from a storm. Yes. You're going to be weathered. You know, it's, it's uh, the young guy panicking, and you look at the old seaman, and mm-hmm. he's just poised. His eyes are set to the horizon. He's going to face this storm. He's seen worse. He's going to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a difference there. But that trial is, is what creates the endurance. It's like the athlete yes. who trains hard. It's not through sitting on the couch that makes him a better athlete. Yes. He's pushing himself in, through intentional trial to run farther, to run faster, to mm-hmm. lift more weights. You know, it's not through just chilling out that you become stronger. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm thinking there was a guy that we were hiking in the desert in Arizona last week, the end of last week, and he lost his son years ago. I think his son was 18. And because of losing his son, he changed some focus. He changed, he was a businessman, and he started to put some time in other areas and events and things like that. And, you know, at one event, 200 guys committed their lives to the Lord, you know, and his, and then another event, 150. And, and then he's, we're hiking in the desert and he's become a close friend because like he understands pain and suffering at a deep, deep level. And now he's ministering to us, you know, we had a tough year in 2019 and now he is, because of having experienced that, not only have um, at this point, it's hundreds of people have committed their life to the Lord based on his decisions after that, losing his son and some of the things he orchestrated and the events he was a part of. Um, of course, it's God working through him. But now in just a very practical, real real way, like now my wife and I are experiencing benefits mm-hmm. from, you know, he and his wife because they lost their son, you know? And he's hiking in the desert. They've been going out there since... I mean, he took the son that they lost, has hiked out there tons of times. They've been going out there since the early 80s. And uh, now the desert has really become, like, meaningful to him because it's a place where, as we're hiking in October there, a lot of things are dead. It's very barren and everything. But you go out there in the spring, and it's very lush and green. So it's just the cycle of death unto life and just this rugged beauty that he is attracted to that now. Like, he's, he's drawn to the desert because of that cycle of death unto life. And so... When you hike the desert with someone like that, as opposed to someone who hasn't experienced much pain or suffering at all, their thoughts on the desert, you know, and their their the benefits that you get to experience selfishly, you know, from from him. There, I mean, there's just there's a a depth there that you can't get except for pain and suffering. Yeah, and experiencing that, and, yeah, and and hanging on to God through that, and you know, it knocked him on his butt for a couple of years. I mean, he basically, I think he laid on the couch for a year or two after his son died. You know what I mean? It's nothing like he just went, marched through that victoriously. I mean, it laid him over for a period of time. And, uh, but he refused to, you know, give up and eventually, and, and then the Lord really worked through that. So 
there there is so much suffering you know it's hard to kind of um it's hard to sort of wrap your head around like why so much suffering and yet here we are talking yeah. about the benefits that other people can experience from suffering yeah gk chesterton went through a lot of stuff and and he he said um something to the effect of uh, the greatest thing you can experience in this life is um, good health and the blessing of God, except illness. Hmm. Like illness was better. Wow. Um, because of the, the way that it informs you and teaches you, the yeah. way that the trial is able. Spurgeon uh, says, uh, I've learned to kiss the hand, that, kiss the wave that throws me upon the rock of ages. Mm. Right? Hmm. Um, it oh, is, wow. you know, the trial is, is what produces uh, grit or steadfastness yes. in our faith. Um, and it provides hope, um, if we're willing, which James 1 talks about this, if we're willing to pray for wisdom to see it that way. Mm-hmm. And the meekness, which is a word that James uses there, um, the meekness to receive the trial yes. as, as something that the Lord is using, because it's not wasted. That's, that's something that's beautiful from James 1. It's not like your, your trial is producing steadfastness. It's not meaningless. Yes. It is providing something. It's, it's not wasted. Your hurt isn't wasted. Your hurt is making you stronger, and it is in some way advancing the glory of God, revealing His glory. Um, even the illness of um remember the the man who um uh was blind and he was healed and the pharisees interviewed the parents mm-hmm. saying you know by the, you know which which no before the healing i think was um does this does this parents is it their fault that he's blind a sin of that they committed that he's blind or is it his sin that he's blind because it was association with if your life's bad it's because of sin Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, neither. It was so that the glory of the Lord would be revealed through him. Man, that's a hard trial to go through. Blindness is a hard trial. Yeah. But according to Jesus, disabilities in general, blindness in this one particular example, illnesses, trials, sickness, it is for God's glory to be revealed. Yes. In that. And that has changed the way I've looked at special needs children. Mm. It's changed the way I've looked at people going through trial. Uh, I'm just, I'm wanting to see, maybe I can be one of the guys that gets a glimpse of God's glory through this young child. Maybe today he's going to manifest his glory in some way through this person's illness. And maybe I get to be one of the ones that get to see that. Yes. So instead of looking away awkwardly, I look with love and opportunity at mm-hmm. man. Is it going to be today that this child is going to flex and God's glory is going to be seen? Yeah, I love that. There was just someone on the podcast in the last two weeks, Victoria. She had a sister, younger, who was, she couldn't talk and she couldn't move. I forget what the illness that she had. And cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy. And, and keep in mind, she, can't, she couldn't move and she couldn't talk. And yet, Victoria and everyone in the family, all of her friends, everyone, like... They got so much love from her. Mm. Like she was so, she emitted so much love. How do you emit love when you can't move and you can't talk? Mm. And yet she did, you know? So here's this, this, this sort of this invalid person and yet teaching the family and friends like the most of 
the people that you knew, like this person taught you the most about love. She was the most loving. <laughs> so that's that's God like working in a weakness, you know? Yeah. And um, and then, the, then there is an element of trust that's needed that our suffering won't be wasted. You know, back to that verse in James, because sometimes we just have to realize that um, that verse is in the Bible. God put it there. It's true, and we rely on that because in the moment, you know, we can't see it. We can't see how... I mean, I often feel like, you know, God wouldn't waste your suffering and your suffering, but there's a good chance he'll waste mine. You know what I mean? But that's just as true for me as it is for you and Andrew. Yeah. It's in the Bible. It's true for everyone. And um, and then there's that element of perspective. And, and, and someone... Um, you know, said it like this at one point, which is like, if we have a piece of art on that wall over there, and then we walk over to that wall and press our nose on the, on the concrete block, and there's just all this art around us, and we don't, but we can't see it because our nose is pressed against the concrete block, but we back up a little bit or give it a little bit more time, you know, from that awful experience or that suffering or whatever that is that happens in life, a little bit of time goes by and you see more of it, and you step back more, and you see more of the art and more of the beauty, and you step back, and, um, you know, but to keep in mind that in this life, we never see the full artwork, you know? Matter of fact, we probably don't see very much of it at all. But then you have God who sees that the full work of art on that wall. And and so just kind of that was helpful for me with realizing when you're really going through something, hey, man, at this point, your nose is pressed against the wall or it's an inch or two away. Like yeah. you don't see what's going on. Um, but you have to trust that there is a bigger picture that you're just not seeing. Yeah. It's there. Great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Do you want any bourbon? Are you good? Um, I like bourbon. I like scotch. Scotch is my Oh, jam, you do like scotch. But... Try some of this uh, Kentucky Owl if you like scotch. Yeah. This is pretty, this is pretty, um, I think it's of these two here. This is a guy in Nashville, actually, a really cool guy. That, uh, But but this is a, a uh, Kentucky bourbon, nice. and if you like scotch, I think you'll like it. Awesome. Thank you. Um, changing subjects a little bit, mm-hmm. but... Um, you put a lot of time and effort into exercise and getting your body, keeping your body healthy and all of that. So sometimes, I don't know that this is quite as popular as it used to be. Maybe I, I feel like it's, hopefully it's not, but I, I feel like there sometimes is still this sentiment that, um, you know, like, um, how does the, <laughs> there's a verse that talks about, you know, working on your, this is butchering it, but like working on your body is good, but yeah, Timothy, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exercises of some, some gain. Yes. Uh, but godliness and holiness is of gain in this life and life. To come. Exactly. Yeah. So first Timothy four, eight. There you okay. Go. Yes. Um, do you have the verse there or no? Can you read it? I do. Well, well, I have it in my notes. Let me okay. Pull it up real oh, quick. That's, that's right. That's okay. right. He, he knows what we're talking about. Um, my point is that, um, it seems like sometimes in Christian circles, the value that's put on physical health is less than um, non-Christian circles. Value, yeah, that's yeah. the word the ESV uses. I think. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, exercise of some value. Yeah. So, um, which I think is unfortunate that sometimes, as Christian people, we kind of poo-poo the value of physical health and all of that. Um, but I'm curious to hear you talk to it. Why do you spend so much time and effort, you know, trying to stay decently in shape? What is the value there um, from a kind of a, I guess, from a Christian worldview? How, how do you 
look at that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it is something I've been pursuing uh, since uh, 2016. Uh, July 8th, I believe, 2016 is when I decided to pursue better health. Um, I was uh, 300 plus. Um, the highest I ever weighed was uh, 310, I believe, in 10th grade. Um, in 10th grade? Yeah, yeah. I was 119 and all entering into third grade. Always a really big kid. Whoa. Yeah. Are your, is your brother and your dad big too? No, my, my dad. Well, my dad's just a, he's a strong, he's got a strong build. Okay. He played football at App State. Um, my brother is, uh, man, he's just, he could swing from trees. He, he can jump. He pole vaulted. Um, oh, wow. NCAA school. Uh, never did that until he got to college and was running. And the track coach recruited him and said, you want to pole vault? He's never done it. And then he ended up getting some awards <laughs> um, in the Big South Conference. But anyway, um, they're not big. Um, I was by far the biggest in my family. Um, and to be clear, the fattest is what I mean by, by yeah. biggest, not strongest. <laughs> um, and uh, But yeah, um, I, I just knew it wasn't Here's where it came from. In 2014, I started reading through the Bible every year. And uh, so 2016, July, was two and a half years into this thing. And um, the way I see it is the Word was just beginning to highlight certain things along the way. And that was one of them. I preached to uh, the city of Nashville. You know, I preached at you know, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And we've got skeptics and agnostics and seekers and... Um, you know, those who have been wounded by pastors and churches that, that gather at our church. And it's got to be troubling for them, for, for me, for a pastor to be talking about a particular uh, issue to be repented of, a sin to be repented of. When here I am on stage at 300 pounds, uh, pounding, you know, fried chicken, um, not caring about the, the sin of gluttony, but I'm definitely going to be concerned in, about their sin in this sermon. That's got to be troubling and confusing, mm-hmm. um, and as it should be. They're doing intellectual work. They're seeing. They're discerning, right? And I, I wanted to be better qualified um, for for preaching and pastoring. I wanted to be healthier. Um, I wanted to live longer, right? Um, I want to be in heaven, but I want to be here as long as God wants me here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to um, be an unhealthy example or um, a sick or unhealthy grandparent not able to enjoy um, preaching the gospel in front of my grandkids and great-grandkids. Uh, I want to know my great-grandkids, you know. Uh, my, my, great, my, my grandfather, um, he passed away. Um, in January of this year, and he was 87. Your, your grandfather? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so he was able to know his great-grandchildren. Yeah. You know, he had an 18-year-old great-grandson. Yeah. Um, and that's fascinating, you know, but it's because he, he was a healthy man, and he's, the, he's why I take vitamins. Um, oh, wow. He's, he's why I take multiple fiber supplements every day. He's, he's the one why I take all the vitamins that I take. Um, I, I try to implement as much as he did, I try to do, because he lived full of years, happy. He lived uh, full of knowledge. His brain was with him until it was with the Lord. Wow. Um, and uh, 87 years old. He never weighed more than 218 as an adult, never weighed less than 214. He always tried to be 215. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so it was always a matter of control for him, self-control. And yeah. he, there was nothing off limits. He would eat and enjoy anything mm. and everything. But he would make sure that his weight stayed mm. around 215. Um, and so I'm just trying to model that, mirror that. Our, we're, our bodies are a lot alike. And so I'm thinking, man, if he was zoned in at 215 and that was what he felt like was healthy and he lived all this time, you know, and he was an athlete, played uh, pro baseball, like he's awesome guy. Um, but I, I have a bigger build than him. Um, I'm an inch and a half taller than him and I've got more, a lot more muscle cause he just didn't, he didn't work out, you know, um, there was very little working out in baseball in the fifties. Sure. Um, so <laughs> very little, there was much more of drinking this yeah. than working out <laughs> baseball in the fifties. And it's how he got a lot of his money was through liquor. Um, what do you mean through liquor? Well, he was just paid in meals and, um, cause you know, back then you had like, uh, leagues instead of like minor league, it was just, you had like triad league, Carolina league, uh, okay. uh, Tennessee, Kentucky league. And, um, and then, and so it was basically this local ball until, okay. until the majors. Gotcha. And so, um, he ended up signing with the Phillies. Um, and, uh, but he played mostly Carolina league, um, he could hit some dingers, though, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He has one. Uh, the Charlotte Observer marked it at 595 feet. Holy moly. I believe the longest one, 601 feet, the longest home run That's ever. out there, man. Yeah. That is out there. Yeah. So, I mean, you picture a Major League Baseball stadium with like 450 feet. That's pretty common to the fence, right? Uh, no, well, like three fifty, three thirty. Is it just three fifty, three thirty? I thought that was yeah. more like softball, but no. I mean, it's okay. it's they they vary Dang, uh, so far. Yeah, Golly. I'd say four hundred. There there might be some fields that are deeper, maybe just a little bit. I deeper. feel like the Yankees had at least part of their field was up to close to four hundred, mm-hmm. but let the the corners is where it usually right. pulls in a little bit. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I had old guys talking about him, telling me stories about him because they watched him play ball and stuff. Oh wow, that's cool. Fascinating memories that I have, but. Yeah, he pursued health, and so that, that made a big impact on me to see him live as long as he did um, and try to em, emulate some of the things that he did. Um, and then the disqualifying factor. I just didn't want people mm-hmm. to not – I didn't want to present a stumbling block of, of, other than the gospel, and I felt like my weight was a stumbling block. And now I love to help pastors um, who might even be hearing this, and they're just like, wow, that resonates. Like, I don't want to do that either. I love helping pastors figure this thing out, mm. um, training them and encouraging them, coaching them along the way. Because uh, I feel like if I could change, anybody could change. If okay. I could get in shape, anybody can. Yeah. You know, the, well, a, if that's how you feel, that's very hopeful for other people. I mean, sure. that's the message someone wants to hear if they're, if they're dealing with a particular thing and trying to change is for someone that, that feels like, hey, if I can do it, you can too. Yeah. How do you help pastors through? Like, where do you start? You start diet, you start exercise. What are some of your recommendations? Uh, read the Bible every day. There's a lot of, most pastors don't read the Bible uh, except for sermons. And so I encourage them to, to get to reading the Bible every day uh, because I feel like my change in health flowed from my spiritual health. My physical health flowed from my spiritual health. And that's interesting because that's going exactly against what I was saying with some of this cultural Christianity thing with like kind of poo-pooing health. So maybe that's more of a, maybe that's more of a nominal Christian, maybe that's, that's a misunderstanding of the scripture, you know, not a thorough understanding of the scripture. So when you actually get in the word, then it's interesting for you getting in the word prompted that physical health. For sure. And, you know, to be clear, when Paul told Timothy, he said bodily exercise 
has value. Like, he didn't say it's stupid. Yeah. He didn't say don't do it. He didn't say it's ridiculous compared to this. He says, no, it's got its place. Yeah. You know, and, and so that should, if anything, that should pull us in to be more active. It shouldn't be like, well, he just said it's a, you know, kind of non-consequential. Let's just move on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what he said. He said it's a value. Um, so I think that's important. But, yeah, I start with reading the Bible every day uh, as, like, here's where we, if you're not doing that, I really don't know how to help you. Um, if you're not willing to pursue the Lord, I mean, there's so much that he does in, our, in your heart. You know, because for me, food was an idol. Mm. It wasn't a mere habit. And so I had to have my heart addressed, and that came through the Word. And this is hindsight now. You know, I didn't know it, but this is how the Spirit was working in my life. So when I look back at this, I can see that. But in the middle of it, I was just reading my Bible, and I just started caring about what foods I ate. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was a correlation there. Mm-hmm. Was um, it an idol or an escape? Uh, both. both. I think a lot okay. of idols are escapes. Yeah. Um, but it was a... Uh, I mean, I, I love flavor. I love being full. I love... Um, uh, abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't like ever being hungry. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I would go to it, um, as a way of coping, but also just enjoying the pleasure, you know, eat, drink today, be mm-hmm. merry. Um, a lot of that, but, um, yeah, uh, starting with scripture, um, leading to making, making better choices as I saw that it was an, an idol in my heart and, and running to Jesus in those moments and reminding myself of my gospel identity provided through the finished work of Jesus um, and who God says I am and what he has for me um, and how what he has is so much better um, than anything I'll ever find in food. And what it did is it freed me to enjoy food instead of worship it. And so I saw it as just fuel. Food is just fuel, right? So uh, when you eat a meal, all it is supposed to do, like uh, scientifically perhaps, you could say it is, the only thing it has to do is energize you, fuel you, supply your body with nutrients for you to thrive for the next six to eight hours. That's all it is. We make it a lot more than that. Mm. I was making it much more than that. Mm It was my fulfillment, not just fuel, right? And so it was, I was, going after for, I was going after it for something that it was never intended to give me. Yeah. So, of course, it led to unhealth. Uh, of course, it led to, you know, abusing food by just hurting myself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, man, I've been dieting since Tommy Lasorda told me to do a commercial to take Slim Fast in like '85. <laughs> I was uh, second grade on Slim Fast. Oh um, wow! Because back then you couldn't play football if you weighed more than 109. And so I got down to like 112, and I couldn't play football. I remember the coach telling my dad, "Well, your son can play for the junior high." I just left second grade, but I was wow. weighing the average. I weighed as much as the average seventh grader. Wow. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm done with football till, you know, junior high because I'm not going to play with those big guys. Yeah. Even though I was their size. Yeah. Now, um, is that because you were eating too much or the wrong kinds of foods back then, or was that just your body? Um, I, was, I, was not, I was not aware of any um, 
uh, wisdom in food selection. Okay, so you're eating whatever you wanted oh, and yeah. doing slim fast. Just when thinking. I did slim fast, I did begin to try to make better food choices okay. according to what slim fast said was okay. supposed to work. But it wasn't working, or you didn't start soon enough, right? Or? Yeah, it didn't start soon enough. I okay. believe because I went from like one nineteen um, down to one twelve, and it just yeah, I see didn't work. But mm-hmm. um, so I started. Uh, exercising in 2016 a lot and uh, started watching my foods. Um, Each time I would order food or prepare food, I tried to use smaller plates and I would, I call it gospeling myself before I would order and reminding myself, Jeremy, all you have to do is supply enough food to get by. That's all you got to do. There's another meal coming, bro. You don't have to get it all right here. Just get enough. And so instead of me spending $15 for myself at Chick-fil-A, I was back to spending, you know, $5. Mm-hmm. Um, so it saved a lot of money. Or actually that money transferred to supplements. Sure. You know what I mean? You're right. Um, like vitamins and things. Yep. Not steroids. Um, <laughs> supplements, when you're talking health, can yeah. <laughs> imply a lot of other things. But um, uh, I noticed for me, and everybody's different. And so as I thought about my weight loss journey, because um, leaving uh, my junior year of high school into my senior year of high school, I dropped 115 pounds in those three months um, as a radical weight loss. And I, and I had a lot of fun after that. I could dunk a basketball. I could slide into second base. <laughs> like, wow. I, I made it to second base. It was awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> 115 um, pounds in three months? Yeah, yeah. And that was a... Uh, I don't think like I've ever heard of that. Seven liters of water and one Fig Newton. And... Uh, working eight to nine hours a day in a greenhouse at a 132 controlled temperature, high humidity room. Jeepers. Um, and then come home and play ball for three hours. That's how I did it. Dang. And, uh, that'll do it. And everybody says, <laughs> every, most people that I talk to, they're like, man, that's not healthy. I'm like, well, neither is being 315 sure. pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but along the way, man, I've been on so many fad diets. I mean, honestly, if you mention it, I, I, I've done it, mm-hmm. uh, and I've lost weight on it, uh, but it's not sustainable because right. I was trying to find a fix without going to what could actually fix it, mm-hmm. right? And I never went to the heart. I was just thinking about the stomach, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a heart issue. Most things are. Um, but I realized I, I just try to think through my body type and understand kind of how I lost weight, like what was it about those different fad diets that helped me lose weight? Um, and none of them required much moderation. It, most of them said, eat whatever off this list. And so I would just consume thousands of calories off that list. And that's not how you lose weight yeah, sustainably. Yeah, yep. So I realized I just needed to cut uh, grains, like breads, um, carbs, um, complex carbs, and um, like noodles, pasta, things like that. And dairy, I had to cut dairy down. And um, I had to cut... Uh, what was the other one? Uh, dairy, grain, and I want to say sugar. Any any other form of sugar, and um, other than natural like apples and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so like cereal. That's grain, um, dairy, and sugar. Yeah, uh, no pe- pasta. Right, but yep. now here's the thing: um, I can eat anything, and I've been doing this for five years. Um, and so it's, it's like, it's been proven like through my experience that this actually works. Um, but it's, it's just limiting. It's learning to limit and discern what you eat. Again, it goes back to how we started with self-control. Yeah. 
I'm not giving you a list to say, eat whatever you want to off this list. Just stay away from this list, right? Cancel culture type of idea. Instead, I'm like, no, we're going to learn self-control here. Mm. I'm going to help disciple you. When you go out to eat, your family's doing pizza, order a side salad, um, use uh, oil and vinegar, no more than a tablespoon of vinegar or uh, of uh, oil. Throw some salt and pepper, some seasoning. See if they got other flavors in the back of some dry rub stuff you can use. Um, and mix it up. Let it be a delicious side salad or a full salad. Uh, and then get some chicken wings. Get eight, mm-hmm. ten chicken wings. Um, don't, you, you don't need the ranch. Um, and enjoy that, man. And if you want a, a piece of pizza, uh, I, you know, take a piece of pizza. Usually cut it in half. Or since I'm only eating one piece of pizza, I'll cut off and eat the heart of that slice of pizza, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the, to the point, it's like the most beautiful part of yep. the pizza. Okay. <laughs> and, and you'll and just eat that. I'll just enjoy and not that the rest of the piece. piece. Right. Okay. Or three or four pieces like I used to and the wings mm-hmm. and the salad and everything doused in ranch. Yeah. And so it's, I can eat whatever I want to eat. Um, I, I lost, when I went through most of my weight loss, I was eating ice cream every night, hmm. but it was just a, like a teaspoon of ice cream. But I learned to enjoy ice cream instead of just by habit having that cold, creamy taste yeah. satisfy me at night. Instead, it was just, let me enjoy this and just a little bit. I see. And so I can eat whatever. That's it's just using now, wisdom and moderation and so, self-control. I see. So currently, you'll eat whatever. Yeah. You're There's just going to use wisdom eat. and moderation and self-control. Yeah. So when you cut out the grains. Or limit. The pr- sure. Limit grains. Okay. Limit dairy. Okay. So you yeah. still limit those things. Absolutely. And then uh, more than, than protein or some other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I Throw see. down on protein. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So currently, are you, do you eat until you're full with protein, or you have a certain daily calorie count that you want to stay under? Uh, I don't think calorie count, personally. Um, yeah. Part of that is because I, I burn so much in my workouts. That okay. It's, it's, it would be, I would have to be really foolish to eat more than I burn. Yeah. Because I, I, I burn a lot of calories. Okay. Um, but I, um, I still, I, I don't try to eat till I'm full. Mm-hmm. Um, I just eat till when it's enough. And, okay. And there's times where I'll be like, man, I've been drifting uh, for about two or three weeks, and I've been hammering it, and I've, I've expanded my stomach, and I've noticed I've been eating more. I've been going back for seconds. I've been, seconds is, um, usually if you go back for seconds, uh, that's, a, that's a sign that, that you need to pull, pull back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that if you're going to go back for seconds out of a habit, then always start out with a much smaller plate mm-hmm. and then go back for seconds. I see. Yep. It's a psychological thing as much as yeah. anything, really. Yep. How much would you say of you staying healthy now, getting to a better weight, how much would you say is diet and how much would you say is exercise or is it just 100% for both? Mm. I think one feeds into the other. I agree with that. Um, yeah. I think they're both very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say 50-50 if you okay. want to do that. Yep. Um, when you're working out, you don't want to go mess up your workout by eating oh, for sure. four pieces of pizza. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And then um, if, you're, if you're eating healthy, you want to capitalize on that mm-hmm. by having a great workout. Does that make sense? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So if I'm going exactly. to exercise yes. self-control and yep. work out and, and eat really healthy today, yep. 
I want to get in a good workout yes. to where I burn that much more. Yep. And I get to get stronger. You know? Yep. So it's it begins to feed. It each totally other. feeds that yeah. into each other for me too. Yeah. What is your workout regiment or cadence? Yeah. Um, I lift weights, upper body, uh, two days a week. Uh, and this just is at home? At home. You have, oh, yeah. some, oh, you have yeah. a bench, you have some weights. I or? just have free weights. Uh, okay. They go, uh, it's one of K- those track. Um, it's like um, two dumbbells that go from five pounds all the way up to 50 pounds. Oh, I see. With uh, pins. Okay, sure. And they go two and a half pound increments all the way up. Okay. Um, I think it's like 250 bucks. I got it as a Christmas present. Okay. I love it. It's awesome. Yep. Um, and I've got some other, like I've got a curl bell. Um, I don't have any kettlebell. I've got a big tire that I flip. Um, I've got smaller weights that are easier to grab than using the pin system. And I've got a treadmill that a buddy gave to me uh, from his Planet Fitness. They were getting rid of it. Um, and so my, my regimen is basically um, I like to run one to four miles every day. So, like, if I do an upper body workout, I'll just run a mile as fast as I can. Mm. Um, today was my first upper body workout since COVID. So, I ran 3.6, and then I did the full upper body workout just because I want, like, I was trying to really get back on track. Yeah. Um, and uh, from, from COVID. But before COVID and where I'm going now is um, I either run three and a half miles or more. Um, and that's my workout or, um, I'll run a mile and then do an upper body workout. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I use, uh, the beach body app. It's a hundred dollars a year and you get access to the videos of all their training videos, access to all their training videos. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's all body weight stuff, mostly body weight and dumbbells. I see. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got a 25 and a 15 or if you've got a 15 and a 10, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take a lot yep. to fatigue. Um, at least for most guys starting out, it takes a while. Um, don't buy a lot of equipment. Earn your equipment. Mm. Like, let that be an incentive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do this workout until it's easy, and then buy the weights. I see. Don't yep. look at those 15 pounds and think, Man, I can do more than that. It's like, no, 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 do this for three months first. Yeah. And then let it be a reward. Yep. Um, and side note on dress is like, Always wear a belt. If you're trying to lose weight, always wear a belt. Always wear tight clothes. Like, like mm. don't go stretchy pants. Uh, okay. Don't go jogging pants. Don't go athletic pants. Yeah. If you're trying to lose weight, keep that reminder yeah. of, of that, that tension that won't give. Mm-hmm. You know, non-stretchy jeans. Yep. Go with, go with the old Just Levi's. Just that top know? of mind sort of yeah. keep, keeping it aware, like you, you, you want to lose weight so that this either fits or looks better or yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Don't, don't buy extra size. Buy, if you're going to buy new clothes right now and you want to lose weight, buy something that's too tight. I see. Yep. Just yep. a little too tight, yep. you know, not, not too tight, but just, just a snug yeah. and earn your way into that being yeah, comfortable. Absolutely. So I went from a two X to a large is how my, okay. my shirts have, have changed. And I went from a, a tight 42 uh, to a very loose 36. Mm. Um, and so that's like, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. My, this is the first time in my life struggling with weight my whole life. It's the first time I actually changed my BMI because I could do crash diets and lose weight, but my body mass index didn't change a lot. Mm -hmm. I just got flabby. I didn't get fit. 
Right. And, so and the, and the longer, key difference is you're changing your lifestyle. That's kind of what I'm picking up on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is just, this is part of my life. And mm-hmm. of course, there's family tensions. There's like different events. I've got to go here and there. And working out has to be handled open-handed sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of times, like I'll, you know, there was one time I caught a flight. I had to leave the house at like 4.30 to fly to LA. I think it was in February of this year. Got to watch the Lakers play. It was oh, fun. Oh, cool. Um, one of the last NBA games that was yeah. possible. Um, and before that, I was like, man, I'm going to be on a plane. I want to work out first. So I got up extra early and at like 3 o'clock to run my three and a half miles because I wanted to sit on that plane and sit the rest of the day if I wanted to. Uh, knowing I got it in that day. Wow. You know, yep. because I knew I was going to be sitting and doing nothing to burn calories. Yep. Um, so there's, there's ways that you can stop making excuses and actually – Put it in the put in the work. Yes, you know. Yep. Um, so for me, getting up early means going to bed early. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to stay up late and have a lot of fun, eat whatever they want to, and then they don't feel right the next morning. Yep. Working out or getting up early, it makes sense, but it does take a life change. You know. Yep. So two upper body workouts a week, um, several miles, um, usually around between twenty five and thirty miles that I run in a given week, and um, intense. Um, high intensity interval training uh, with um, Shanti and the Beachbody app that I was talking about, um, where I do speed 2.0, office T25 workout, speed 3.0, and like uh, core cardio. Those are the three workouts I use there. And then I use an upper body workout from uh, Lift 4. And then I use an upper body workout from 21 Day Fix. Mm. If you're going to get into 21, if you're going to get into Beachbody at all, as far as like the, the app goes, you don't need a, like, there's no like a, a subscription. There's no like, you have to get this Shakeology or anything like that. I'm not pushing that. I don't sell that. Um, but I do love the app because it opens up a lot of opportunities from Pilates to like, you name it. Oh, okay. Gives you tons of opportunities to yep. work out uh, different ways. Um, but if you're going to start and you're like, I want to start somewhere, where do I start? Man, the 21 day fix program is a seven day a week program. It is phenomenal. I did that for my first three years of my diet and my life change. You just kept repeating it every seven days? Every seven days. Oh, wow. And there's a line in there where she says, it's Autumn Calabri, I think's her name. Uh, she's the trainer and she says, you give me 21 days and I'm going to give you the body that you've always wanted. Right. I gave her three years. And wow. I'm not there yet. But yeah, you know, the point is it does provide a, uh, like a significant, um, head to toe, uh, level of muscular cardiovascular health. Okay. Yep. Um, and so if you do any workout, I would encourage you to start there and do that for 21 days, if not 42 days. Honestly, it's such a great program. You could do it for three years like I did mm-hmm. and longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does get you, it's, it's awesome, head-to-toe workout. It includes Pilates, um, like a mat class, uh, legs, upper body, lower body, backs, arms, cardio. It's all-encompassing, seven days. How much time a day do you allocate to this? An hour? Is this coming, shakeouts about an hour a day? Is it more or less? Um, I base my workouts on my calendar. Right. So I had a little okay. bit more time this morning. That's why I did the running and the lifting. I see. Uh, some days I've got an early meeting and I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do that 25 minute Sean T workout with T25 and do speed 2.0 because mm-hmm. I know it. I can get through it. It's 25 minutes. Otherwise, I'm running on the treadmill for 30 minutes. That's an extra five minutes. So if I'm pushed for time, I won't run. I'll do 
a T25 workout. All of them are 25 minutes. And then I've got a little extra time. I love to run on Monday mornings because I've got a, you know, I've got a TV in front of my treadmill and I love to catch up on all the football. And so oh, okay. like sports yeah. center has been lame this week. Um, so far, um, uh, because of, um, you know, it's been pretty much just baseball, um, which it's fun, but there's only so much you can talk about baseball. Right. So I'm not, I didn't <laughs> enjoy running this morning cause I was just like thumbing through so many segments that I just didn't enjoy. Well, why is that? Cause there was, there was NFL this weekend, wasn't there? Yeah, it was last night. There was Monday night football. So I ran yesterday and caught up on all the football. Oh, got it. But then yeah. this morning, for instance, it was, you know, the bears and Rams. <clears throat> I see. Know? And yeah. there's only so much you can talk about the Rams and bears. Right. Um, and so like, I love, uh, Sunday running on Sundays because you get to catch up on all the college football Monday mornings because of all the NFL, but then it's really little, you know, spread out yep. uh, throughout the week. Um, so there's certain shows I try to watch, or if I'm trying to learn something, um, like this year, I've, I've tried to learn a lot more about, uh, general anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. GAD. And so I would watch a seminar on that. Uh, okay. To redeem that time on the treadmill yeah. type of thing. Because I don't yep. like wasting time. I yep. like to multitask to, to get a lot done. Um, but to answer your question, 25 minutes some days, uh, which ends up being 30. Some days, 30 minutes, which ends up being 35. Um, and then on the lift days, it's usually close to, uh, close to an hour with the running the mile and then doing the video. And then extra, I always like to do extra. It's like, man, if I've already pushed myself this far to build this strength, I'm going to, I want to do some extra, just random workouts. Okay. Just yep. to just different lifts to try yep. to build while I'm bulking, you know? Yep. It's crazy how much you can get done in an average, just call it 45 minutes a day, even just five days a week, Yeah. you know? And okay. then how quickly you can burn 45 minutes on a s- evening watching a, sh- you know, random show or, you know, scrolling through social media or getting lost in the interwebs or, you know, all of that. So I'm surprised to hear that some of those workouts are only 25, 30 minutes long and it seems to be effective. So, yeah. And there's longer ones for sure that you can, um, that you can have that you can, the beautiful thing about the app is you can put in, um, how much time you have, what type of workout you're looking for, um, and your goal and it'll just sort out everything and say, well, here's the five to choose from. Yeah. You know? Yep. And it's just, it's awesome like that. I don't like to do, uh, certain workouts after working out upper body the day before. And I don't sure. do a lot of lower body workout. Okay. Cause there's some lower body workout in every video that I do. Yep. And I'm running that much. Yep. And I'm not trying to, you know, squat a lot. I've been big my whole life. I'm trying to squat less. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I was breaking records squatting weight because of my size in high school. Yep. You know, um, and high school records, mm-hmm. not, not anything yep. else, which is not worth a tattoo, I can promise you. <laughs> um, but anyway, I've got a, a picture of a, sort of like a before and after to show you. Uh, I know you can't see it on Dang. YouTube, wow. That is, yeah, I'm sure we can't, we probably can't see that, Andrew. Bring it close. Bring it close to the camera? Yeah. You want it up here? Little to the left, other way. Perfect. Yeah, it's a big. Thank you. That's a big jump, big man. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a uh, wow. Yeah. It even looks like your eyes change color. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it must be the, just the way the picture is. Yeah, 
What and, year uh, were each of those there? Uh, the first one was, um, actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't July of 2016. It was July of 2015. Okay. Um, at 7.47 a.m. Um, okay. And that's the, that was the, that's my first oh, wow, yeah. before picture. And that's like a busted Busted can of biscuits is what I like to talk about. I mean, you, your face does not even really. I was look miserable. Like, really? Yeah. Oh, just man. felt miserable. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, just no energy. Depressed. Just what? what? Just, just unhappy. Like when I see that picture, I'm just, I'm, I'm upset because I know I'm a man of principle, mm. and I just, I did not like that I had no self control, no, mm. no principle, no. Uh, just continue to buy larger clothes. Without yeah. addressing the, the problem yeah. and enabling, um, yeah, yeah, just I mean, it's you you walk you wake up defeated, okay, you know, like you got to hold your breath when you put your socks on, okay, uh, yeah, or you, you just can't breathe actually, yeah, um, but it feels like holding your breath, um, and just yeah, I mean, for me, I didn't want to be the the dad that the kid my kids were kind of like embarrassed of, you know, mm-hmm. um. Not, you know, not that they would be necessarily, but, you know, I, I just felt not like a failure necessarily, but like, why would anybody aspire okay. to be like me? Yeah. What age were you in that picture? You know, uh, that would have been, I was 35, 36 maybe. So you were 36 years old. You were my age then. And now, you said 41 or 42? 41. And now at 41... You're healthier, fitter, feeling uh, better. Any other time in my life. Wow. By far. Yeah. yeah, that is encouraging. Yeah, I could go run a 5K in 26 minutes right now. Yep. Like, easily. Yep. Um, when before, when I started, uh, it would take me uh, probably 15 minutes to get a mile out, and most of it would be walking, and that would be as fast as I could get. Like, that's heart, like borderline heart attack. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, and I would sweat a ton. Like, I'm always, I always sweat a lot. Yeah. You know, I sweat a lot. And, um, but it was just a problem preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're out of breath? Problem. Sweating too out much? Out of breath and just dripping sweat everywhere. It, oh, it okay. shut off my iPad one time in the middle of a wedding. My sweat just, it, it just froze my iPad because it was, it felt like a, it was discerning my sweat as a finger on the screen. Wow. And, uh, and it was just like, there were, there were drops everywhere. Yep. And the more I touched it, it just, it just literally just shut off. Yeah. Huh. Um, so when you're talking to pastors now that are struggling with weight or health, those types of things, are you, are you pitching, I guess, pitching them on the benefits of just you're going to feel better, you're going to be more effective, you're going to be a better steward of your body, you're going to have more mental clarity? Um, is what are you telling them would be the benefits of why they should be interested in putting some time into exercise and changing what they're eating and how much and all of that? Yeah. Like what's was, in it for them? Yeah. That was uh, from... Oh, nice. Ago. <laughs> from right, how long ago? Four weeks ago. It was before, oh, right four, before COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, wow. Got the macho man. Yeah. You're definitely putting... You're, <laughs> you're lifting some weights for yeah. sure. You got these good... Muscles right here. Yeah, the traps. The traps, is that what that is? Veins popping out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Never had that before. Very nice. And over the last couple of years, I've, I've been typing and stuff and actually been startled at the, the veins popping up on my hand because I've okay. never seen veins my whole life. I've never seen them. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I would be typing and being like, oh, 
I, I would literally be startled. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, wow, that's funny. a thing. What do you know? <laughs> um, no, I don't really have to tell guys a lot. Okay. Um, you know, when they reach out to me, they know it already. Okay. Um, they and, know they need to change. They know there's benefits in mm-hmm. being more healthy. And, yeah. yeah. And until, until you are, like, willing to try anything and really upset at yourself, until they look like I did in the eyes of that before picture mm-hmm. in 2015, um, I can't help them. Yep. They, 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 you have to hit a, a certain rock bottom of disgust. Okay. Um, I call it sick of it, you know? Um, you just got to be completely sick of it. Yeah. And the first thing I ask them that they do, like if we're talking face-to-face like this, I'd be like, so I want you to go in that room, and I want you to take your shirt and your pants off and take a picture, and I want you to text it to me, and I want you to make it your background on your phone, and I want you to do that for the next three months. What do you mean every day, or keep it as a backdrop? Keep it as a background for the next three, three months. months. Okay, and and text it to me, and um, because part of it is that I've learned is you've got to be honest. Don't suck in. Look at who you are. Zoom in on that picture. Look around. Like look at yourself in the eyes. You know, you take the front shot and the side shot. You know, like, don't run from this. This is who you are. Don't pretend. Um, Because until you're honest and sick at what you see and how you feel, there's no program that's going to work. But I think if you're honest and you're actually sick of it, any program will work. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, and so part of sending it to me is admitting it. It's kind of like confessing it. Mm-hmm. This is true for me. Um, and some guys are like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. It's like, I, eh. and I, I, don't, well, I won't necessarily say this, but I'll be like, well, you're just not sick of it yet, is what I think. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You don't want to change it. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that I think is so true, and I think it's the most important thing when it comes time to a change like that, and that's... It's exactly where I was at this spring, man. I mean, 2019 was a bad year and my health went to crap and I was eating crap and I don't put on weight, but I got fat and soft and, or I was, I got a, a, like a little belly and soft and not pudgy. strong and yeah. yeah, pudgy and didn't feel good. Wasn't a good place mentally. And, and, um, there's just one Saturday for lunch, Marianna had, I mean, it wasn't even like bad food. It was like chicken sausage with quinoa and whatever. And, I ate it and I just felt like crap. And I was sitting on the couch and I was just like, no, that's it. Mm. That's it. I'm tired of it. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm tired of feeling like crap. Yeah. And I'm tired of feeling sick all the time. And I'm tired of having no energy. And I'm tired of not like feeling that I'm strong and not looking like I know that I can look and just feeling like a slob. And I'm yeah. done. I'm over it. Yeah. And finally need to get to that point to like... Make a change again. Yeah, and it's, it's uncomfortable to change, right? It uh, doesn't feel good to be hungry and to work out and to not have the foods that you're so used to. Um, but look at where your feelings have gotten you. Don't sure. trust your feelings. Yeah. Don't listen to that anymore. Yeah. You have to go by fact. Yeah. And that's where coaching comes in mm. is they just tell you, you know, here's what you're going to eat. Here's, how, here's what you're going to do. And a lot of guys think of like the workout is like, like most guys that I help, it's not healthy for them to work out. Like, they're, they're so unhealthy. Mm. Um, I would put them in the hospital if they took my advice. Like, they're, they're terribly unhealthy. And so my first advice is walk a mile with your wife at some point throughout the day 
through your neighborhood or whatever. Just walk a mile. Don't walk fast. Enjoy it. Just slow walk it. Just get in a mile every day. Um, and every, uh, every time you change clothes, stop and do 30 seconds of push-ups. Even if you just get half of one and the rest is struggle for 30 seconds every time you change clothes. Do that for three weeks and call me. So by that time, you have walked, what is that, 28 miles? Mm-hmm. And you have done, I don't know how many seconds of push-ups that is, but I guarantee you're doing a better push-up yeah. you know, at the third week than you were the first day. Because you've been trying this throughout every day that you've changed clothes. Yeah. Um, and so that had, that's, a, that's an easy first step to like getting started. Mm-hmm. And so guys then hit me up and say, all right, so what's next? And that's where I'll kind of get more of a gauge on how much weight have you lost since then? How much, like, what are we looking like? Like, um, how's your, what are your numbers? You know, I try to get them to assess like their, their numbers. Um, and, uh, and then I, I cater based on their goals. And, you know, I talk about diet and cause some guys aren't affected by dairy. Some guys, mm-hmm. it makes them gain weight. Yeah. You know, some guys can't process a lot of protein. So it takes adjusting certain things. You yes. Know? And, and, and one of the, it's, it's very common for people to not be able to process dairy properly. I feel like it's, people are just kind of starting from scratch and you just want to start to eliminate some things, man, dairy and, and those carbs and pastas and that type of thing. I think those are, yeah. those are some of like the top things to start. And well, obviously sugar, I guess that's sort of obvious, but um, yeah. those yeah. are some of those things to start cutting. It's very first. common, right? Like it, I think it's, it's uh, across the board. If you're trying to lose weight, if you limit your grains, limit your dairy, mm-hmm. limit your sugar. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're going to lose weight. Yes. Like, Get some fresh air and be active yeah. and you, man, you are well on your way. <laughs> man. I mean, that's the thing is like, we want, we want it really fast. We want it right. really fast and we want it to happen right now and, and we want it to be easy. You know, uh, there are easier steps to kind of get you there, mm-hmm. but you can't be hard on yourself. It's going to take you a while. If it's yeah. taken you 35 years to get here, it might take you three, more than three weeks to get out of here. That's right. Yes. You know, like my grandpa would tell me, it's like, it goes on one bite at a time. It's going to go off, you know, limiting yourself that bite. Yeah. And adding yep. a drop of sweat. Yeah. You know, that's how it's going to come off. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's so true. true. It is so true. Yep. So true. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, what else? I don't want to keep you here all night. I mean, this is, uh, we've, we've been going pretty strong yeah. here. This is fun. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, you are... Um, you're 40, you have teenage kids, you're a pastor to church, you're in Nashville, Tennessee, it's 2020, there's COVID going on, there's political unrest and tension, every, like with everything going on, where do you see, like, where do you, if you're concerned, if you have any areas of concern for the state of the church, where are those areas of concern? Biblical literacy. Hmm. Um, illiteracy. Um, People not reading their Bibles, Christians um, getting spoon-fed through podcasts, um, following their favorite preachers but not their pastor, Mm. Um, not reading the Bible, expecting theology to come through song only and not through the Word, um, or through sermon only and not through the Word. You know, it's kind of like the same thing as diet and exercise. You know, it's like I want to be able to eat whatever I want and walk into a gym and walk back out and be healthier. 
I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to limit my diet. I want it to be easy. And, you know, there, but there's a, there's a discipline to being healthy. There's a discipline to being spiritually healthy. And, and it's sad, and it really makes me concerned to think that you have to convince Christians to read the Bible. Uh, by definition, I think a Christian is one who longs for the pages of Scripture. But I think that we have so reduced, for fear of legalism maybe, or moralism, we've reduced the Christian life to a five-minute devotion for God, devotion with God that you can get at the local bookstore, the ones that are still open, um, or just show up to church on Sunday and give money, and you're assumed to be healthy. Um, if you ate one meal a week, even if it was loaded with nutrition, you're not going to be healthy, even if a sermon alone can produce health. Um, I, there's absolutely the greatest, the greatest issue facing the church today is Christ, professing Christians not being s- students and readers of Scripture. But more than that, probably, the greater issue, even beyond that, is why that's the case. Like, what's going on in their hearts? I don't, the answer isn't just for people to start reading their Bible more, necessarily. It's addressing the heart issue of why is it that you aren't a student of Scripture? Um, why is it that it's been months or years since you've read the, you know, read the Bible more than two or three weeks in a row? Um, that would be a serious problem if we looked at physical food consumption like we do spiritual food consumption. Uh, we would be really concerned. We would call it a disorder. You have an eating disorder. Uh, but in the church, you know, we don't, doesn't really get brought up much. Mm-hmm. Um, so beyond, I mean, and that's, and that's been what's so hard with all the issues that we face in 2020 um, from the, social injustice and race tension and processing COVID and the division that were so polarized politically, um, you know, the, the tornadoes and Kobe dying, my papa dying, like um, Regis Philman, like on and on. It's like, this has been Bob Gibson, old pitcher for the Cardinals. This has been crazy, man. Like this year is just, and I hate to use the term, but it's going to be permanent. It's going to be made permanent to 2020 is unprecedented. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but all of the heartache that flows from those issues and many of those issues themselves, addressing them only is trying to change the type of tree you have by simply knocking the fruit off the tree. You've got to go to the root. You've got to go to the, the root of the issue, um, weed killer that you use, um, whether it be Roundup or whatever. Um, you don't want something that just kills the leaf. You know, if you look on it in big letters, other than this causes cancer, you'll see uh, this goes to the root, kills the root, right? That's, that's what we're after when we're trying to get rid of poison ivy. Um, the root issue of so much of this unrest that we've had this year. Uh, the root issue is a lack of discipleship, a lack of mission, a lack of evangelism, um, a lack of faith in God, and all of that comes back to God's people not caring what God says and not being students of His Word. 
that's an issue. You go back there, you start addressing, that's a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. When people begin to be students of Scripture and believe the gospel, process, believe, preach the gospel to themselves, share the gospel with others, that, like racial rec- reconciliation happens a lot faster and a mm-hmm. lot more whole when that is a part of the answer to social injustice, racial tension, and hatred. Like, that's how you're going to see the change. And you, I don't think you're going to see it through government, politics, money. I don't think you're going to see it through any other way. Um, I do think education is a significant part that needs to be addressed in um, the division within race in I all of our that. cities. Yeah, um, Lack of knowledge and why that's the case. Um, but, man... Yeah, sorry to kind of go off on that soapbox as much as I did, but I, I, that, it's, it's, it's horrific, the amount of pastors. It's terrifying, the amount of pastors that I talk to personally. And I know that you could take that as a poll for the rest of the pastors in America, how few pastors read the Bible. It's deeply troubling. Hmm. And if the pastor doesn't read the Bible, if the pastor doesn't pray, I mean... Uh, go, remember the Titans line, um, attitude reflects leadership, Captain, right? Mm-hmm. When Gary Bashir said that back to Julius, the black linebacker um, in that movie with uh, Denzel Washington. Um, you know, the people, you know, they, the parishioners follow the pastor, the sheep follow the shepherd. Um, and so when our shepherds become men of prayer and men of God's word, hungry for his word, devoted to his word, whether they like it that day or not, whether it moves them or not, but they're just, they're in it. They're being, they're dedicated their life. This is good for me. When they have that mentality that trickles down and it begins to shape and inform the whole church. And if all our churches are being shaped that way, man, that addresses so many other issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise we're just asking them to pretend to, to, to live in such a way that it's as if they were reading the Bible. So I want you to give financially. I want you to serve. I want you to share with others the gospel. I want you to go do these things. And it, that's having them act without this, the humble disposition to God's word, asking him to speak to them through this time, being students. It doesn't take writing out, you know, for four hours of devotional. Giving your time, it's, it needs to be systematic, um, but systematic time in Scripture that might cost you some things. It, you know, so sacrificial, meaning you might need to go to bed earlier, get up earlier, but something that costs you something. Sacrificial, systematic, um, and I think along the way you will experience joy. You know, like since January first, two thousand fourteen. Um, I've read through the Bible each year, and before that, I never, I only would, I was sporadic, you know, hit and miss, much more miss than hit. Um, but I've, I've learned along the way to like the Bible. And I don't know that a lot of our people have been challenged to persevere with it until they like it. First time I had bourbon, I didn't like it. It was strange. Um, first time I had black coffee, I didn't like it. It was strange. First time you have black tea, if you're from the South, it's really strange. Or uh, uh, unsweetened tea. Um, you don't like it. It's strange. But you can persist with something long enough to enjoy it. 
you said something earlier about acquiring a taste for something. I forget what we were talking about, but you acquired a taste for kombucha. Kombucha. Um, you know, some people, like I remember all my pastor buddies talking about IPAs, double IPAs and all that stuff. And I drank it. I felt like I was eating wildflowers. You know, it's awful. But then I just, I was like, you know what? I don't like missing out. I like being a part of the group. And uh, you know what? I'm going to forget the ultra and I'm going to go for a, I'm going to go for a double IPA. And so what I did is I started asking um, the, the server, like, will you give me the most repulsive and violent <laughs> IPA that you have. Like, I want it. I, I want it to like make me sick. If you can just give me the, the most repulsive, aggressive, you know, all these adjectives. And I and I began to develop a palate and a taste for it. Now it's my preferred. It's like everything else tastes like a Lacroix, you know, mm. uh, like a bubbly, you yeah, know, sparkling water. Um, and I, I appreciate it now. But I think a lot of people, if it's not like fireworks and fantasy and um, uh, warm and fuzzy every day. They just, uh, they don't develop and, and develop the palate. Mm-hmm. They don't stick with it long enough to find joy there. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's yep. like if it would be great if we started riding a bike the first time we touched a bike, but it took scab knees, took tears, running in the ditches. I always aimed for the bushes. It was the most forgiving thing in our yard. Um, to crash into, usually kept the bike upright for me to step off of it yeah. instead of the pavement. But man, there was something about wanting to learn how to ride that bike that kept you coming back, mm-hmm. even with blood dripping down to your sock. Mm-hmm. You just wanted to ride it. And I feel like our people, they're not, they're expecting to develop a palate from the very beginning. And if it ever gets, if they ever get a bad taste of it at all, uh, one, if it seems boring, two, if it asks them to do something that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Or they they disagree with it because culture says something different. They're off. They're, yeah. they're they don't touch it anymore. And yeah. It's like, oh man, it, it's so much fun to ride bikes with your friends. Mm. It's so much fun to know the God who created everything. Mm-hmm. If you just take time and, and commit that, um, so that I think by far is is the greatest as a pastor, as a Christian, as a daddy, even wanting to see these things in my kids' lives. If my kids are reading the Bible every day, there's a lot I don't have to worry about. But that's a big concern if they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like a lot flows from that. Yeah. Uh, but that's by far the biggest issue, I think, facing us as Christians, mm-hmm. facing us as, um, as pastors and yeah. people. Yep. I don't think I'm going to be able to add to that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that's probably a good... A big soapbox. That's pretty good conclusion right there. Um. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming by, man. Yeah. This was fantastic. It was great to yeah, see you again. You too, man. It was good to catch up. Um, I'm kind of I'm feeling encouraged and inspired, and I mean, maybe the next one won't be three years out. So yeah. maybe maybe it'll be a little sooner than that this time. But uh, thank you, you so much. Yeah, for you mentioned um, marijuana, cannabis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were talking about that. You emailed me earlier. Yes. One quick thought, because you you brought up tobacco too. Yeah. So I read this morning on uh, the Science Times. Uh, I read the New York Times each morning. The Science Times this morning, uh, page, I think it was D7 under the health and wellness section of the Science Times portion of the paper. There's an article on marijuana mm-hmm. and how it is five times 
it causes oxygen to be deprived to your bloodstream five times worse than tobacco. So just a thought. I know we're talking about oxygen with COVID getting into our bloodstream, Hmm. trying to keep that. There's a new study that says that cannabis marijuana um, restricts oxygen five times the rate of oxygen getting to your bloodstream. Can you pull that up, Andrew? Google it. Five times worse. That's interesting. So, for the listeners that are wondering, you know, where did <laughs> where did marijuana come out of? The the you know, as it's becomes increasingly legal in states across the country, I feel like churches are going to have to start dealing with this, right? In a way that maybe ten years ago, twenty years ago, didn't have to so much. I mean, I think there's kind of one aspect from should we enjoy cannabis, should we not? Where it's like, well, is it legal? You know what I mean? Now, the legal thing also that that um, that argument gets a little funky too because let's uh because it's still illegal federally so even like colorado like Mm -hmm. if you were if access church was in colorado it's legal in that state but it's still illegal federally so now what do you like now does it fall to the to the people to use it if it's helpful or not um because it's legal there but it's still illegal federally so the legal thing it gets a little it's comp it's 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 still a little bit complicated. And then in, like in Nashville, I don't know if you knew this, but in this summer, the prosecutor in Nashville said they're not going to prosecute anyone for low levels of marijuana possession. Mm. So it's illegal federally. It's illegal in the state. Um, but the in Davidson County, you can't get in trouble for it. So is it legal or isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's sort of it's this complicated thing. Um, I'm just sort of curious as like, this becomes more mainstream. Here's what I think, and you can disagree with me or plenty of people can disagree with me. I sort of feel like it's the next alcohol, hmm. you know, whereas 20 years ago, a lot of people were I like could definitely see that, teetotalers sure. and didn't get into it and everyone poo-pooed it. And if we'd have had, you know, you, you throw a couple of random, you throw a pastor and a random business guy on a podcast 30 years ago, probably most of the time it's like, you know, to stay away from it, to, right. from alcohol. And I think plenty of people still feel that way with marijuana, which they have a right to their own opinion. I'm totally open to that. I just sort of feel like, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about it, to be quite frank. And I feel like it's already way more common and popular and maybe even helpful, although some would disagree with me on that front, than maybe some people already realize. And I feel like it's kind of going to run through the church, maybe potentially, I could be wrong, like alcohol did, Mm -hmm. where it's like, First, no, that's crazy. Don't do that. And then, eh, maybe sometimes if as science comes out and whatnot. And then, and then, and then I think where alcohol is kind of wound up, it's like, well, or at least you know how we would think about alcohol is plenty of people don't drink, and that's totally fine. I have no problem with that. And then there's, oh, maybe it's okay to have a drink, you know. So I'm just kind of curious how pastors are starting to think about marijuana as it kind of becomes legal in different states. So. Um, but you're saying, though, that you read a study. Did you find it, Andrew? Or no? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. You, you read a study that said that um, marijuana, the smoking weed, mm-hmm. is five times... It limits, it prohibits the ox- amount of oxygen to the bloodstream. Okay. Five times... More than tobacco. amount of tobacco. Absolutely, yeah. That's what the article said. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it was in today's New York Times. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I have not... Uh, here we go. Wait, is it? No. Which is hard on the heart. Well, if you, if you have... Can you text us that article later, maybe? Yeah, yeah. And um, you can maybe look up uh, New York Times, wellness, marijuana, tobacco, and see what pops up there. What's funny about you mentioning that is just this past weekend... Um, 
there was a guy, it's not the guy I was, t- I was talking about hiking with, but someone else who was saying that he, he well, he said that to smoking tobacco is, what did he say? He said it's twice as bad. I'm sorry. He said smoking marijuana is twice as bad if he was tobacco. And I was just like, dude, stop it. It's not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you, if you don't want to smoke pot because of a whole ton of reasons, that's fine. But don't say it's twice as bad if you're smoking tobacco. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just not, I don't, I mean, he seemed pretty solid on his in- information, but, uh, all right. Yeah, what is this? Compared with tobacco, marijuana smoking causes a five-fold greater impairment of the blood's oxygen-carrying capacity. Dr. K and colleagues reported in a review of medical evidence published in January in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, researchers described a broad range of risks to the heart and blood vessels associated with the use of marijuana. Interesting. Yeah. Point out that marijuana has become increasingly potent and smoking marijuana carries many of the same cardiovascular health hazards as smoking tobacco. And that's what it was talking about, the articles about, like, the cardiovascular aspects of yeah. like an athlete. If, like, if you're trying to get in shape, you're trying to run, mm-hmm. um, smoking cigarettes is probably not the best way to right. help that. Yeah. You know, um, because it, it does limit, it does many things. You, yeah. you know, your picture of the lungs shows yeah. what it does. But uh, it deprives the blood of oxygen. And they're saying that marijuana does five times that. Um, that's really interesting. I'd love, to, I'd love to read that because there's a number of athletes that you know have openly used marijuana. A number of athletes, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if this is something I should say out loud, but I mean, I'll just, I guess I'll just say it. But like the best athletes at my gym, they use pot, sure, yeah, and they smoke it. And I mean, yeah. these are guys that these are high, these are finely tuned, like the. Yeah. They would never smoke cigarettes. Let me just put it that way. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't touch until cigarettes. Now, maybe until they find out this research. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they're just uneducated. <laughs> you yeah. know. But um, yeah, that's fascinating. This is one of those one of those places. I guess again, bookending our time. Maybe going back to self control. Um, is I think it's it's an issue that you have to address with, not necessarily a right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think you're right. It's we're going to come to a place where many are going to view it as right. And even legally, it's going to be acceptable. Um, and so right or wrong is going to be hard to stand on, kind of like what we've got with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that right or wrong is a knowledge issue. But a wisdom says, but is it best? Um, and so that's where it's going to, you know, you're going to have to ask yourself, is it, is it best? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm trying to get in shape, is something like cigarettes or smoking pot, is that best? Mm-hmm. Well, then is there other ways of getting it? You know, so... so like why like what's the purpose yeah you know and you've got the guys who are like well god made it it's got to be good it's like well he also made poison ivy but you don't necessarily want to sleep in it yeah um so just because it's there doesn't mean it's for our consumption yes um but i know there's many that say it's helped them you know to take the medicinal Mm -hmm. route others um it's harmed them and uh, made things much more difficult for them of course there's an argument of the gateway that you start here and you go elsewhere um, and I heard that even with alcohol um, in that way. But, you know, I, th- I think at the end of the day, for Christians, um, the question has got to be, does this hinder my holiness? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's all legalized, then it's, it's no longer um, a legal issue. It becomes somewhat of a moral issue in how you interpret Scripture in regards to this. And, and so I think you get to the point, because it doesn't talk about weed um, in the Bible, 
but you just have to say, you know what, does this aid me in my holiness? Does this assist my holiness or does it hinder my holiness? Does Mm -hmm. this, um, you know, and if it's legalized and if there's, there's nothing legally wrong with it, if it doesn't harm you physically, okay? If we know that it doesn't harm you physically, uh, so perhaps the word moderation is there, the term, because alcohol harms you physically if you don't use moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're thinking of it in that same line, it's just another substance. Um, then the question would be, does it aid or hinder my holiness? Um, and that's going to be different for different contexts. Yeah. You know, um, just like it is with alcohol. Yes. You know, it might, might not be best for you to order that drink when you're in a given situation because of the weaker brother. Exactly. Perhaps, or the context. Um, so let it be a sanctifying thing for you not to order. Yep. You know, yep. that's okay. Yep. You're a big boy. You can, you know, you can drink later if you want to. Hit up yeah. the gas station on the way home if you need to. Yeah. Uh, if, but again, it's like if you're that desperate for it, that's not. Then, then that's there's a that problem question too. too. Yeah, I you totally know? agree with that. And so it's just, uh, it's a heart, it's a heart thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, kind of going back to where we started. Yep. I totally agree with that. And I think another helpful way to think about it is the best thing I, 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 I get that argument and I agree with it. And then also if we term it in terms of, is it helpful? I think that can be helpful too, because for, I don't know, I guess a lot of people probably marijuana is probably not helpful. And then there's some people where studies are showing where it is helpful. If you're dealing with particular, I guess, um, well, it's it seems to be better to use as a pain reliever than like getting hooked on opi- opioids, you know, or uh, there can be some benefits with anxiety or depression and those some of those some of those types of things, and so, um, but you know if if it's not helpful to you or it's going to be detrimental because you start to act a certain way or do certain things, you know, that um, it causes you to do that are not beneficial or holy or godly or you know, takes you on a good path, well, then it, I don't, then at that point, it doesn't really matter whether it's pot or alcohol or, you know, then that's just, let's not do that, right. you know? Um, so I've just been curious, and I did want to ask you about it just because as it becomes, uh, it, well, it's talked about more and it's becoming legal in more states. Um, I'd love to, to talk to a pastor where in a state where it's like was once illegal and it's now legal. Like, how are they working through that? How are they thinking about it? How prevalent is it in their congregation, you know? And um, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to ask you about it because, you know, it's not legal in Tennessee, but you're also pastoring a church in downtown Nashville. Nashville's a booming city and, you know, it's... um, it's here and people are using oh, there's it. There's a lot of weed you know? in Nashville. Yeah, there sure is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I was just curious how you thought through that. So yeah, that that is helpful. Yeah. Andrew, can you text that um, article to me? I'd love to. I'd love to read that. Uh, well, great. Well, Jeremy, thank you again for coming by. Anything else we cover I think for now, so, man? I think we're. I think we're good. Thanks uh, for having me, man. It's yeah. Really good catching up. It has yeah. been good catching up. Thank you for your time and. Um, and just so you know, Axis Church pops up a fair bit at Emmanuel. Yeah, we thank you guys a lot. And um, so man. we're so happy that you're here in the city and and um, heard the church is doing well. Hope you're doing well. So yeah. keep it up, brother. Thank keep you so preaching much, and, and pastoring and spreading the love of Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.